following is a presentation of the Outside Lens Radio Network. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Outside Blitz. I am your host, the fabulous one, Scotty Freytown, along with my good friend, the bootleg better, joining us for the second time, Boots. How are we doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm five foot three, 190 pounds, and I cover the ground I walk on. Rest in peace, honey. <laughs> yes. Um, we are here, large and in charge, one day before Super Bowl Sunday. It is uh, Super Bowl Eve, if you will. Almost here. Yeah, almost here. We're very fired up. Got some uh, pulled pork getting ready to go on the smoke tomorrow. I'm excited for that. Going to have some good company, some good football. Uh, it, it's going to be a good time. Uh, Boots, man, uh, Alex is not joining us today. Alex uh, doing his training thing out there. You know we're all a bunch of wrestlers out here. And uh, Alex out there with uh, Mr. Otis enjoying himself, living his best life, uh, getting better and better by the day. If there's any place to be, it's up there with C.J. Otis for sure. But... Alex uh, will be here later on tonight. He will be here tomorrow. All right. So we will have Alex uh, in the house. So that'll be that'll be a good time. Uh, but folks, hey, we're, it's the day before the Super Bowl. We've got a lot of uh, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, head coaches wiggling around. We got a lot of news around the league. A lot of moving and shaking. Yeah, a lot going on. Um, we we do have our uh, conference championship games that that took place this past sunday interesting games to say the least how long ago was were these games? Uh, well two, two weeks ago now. it feels like two months yeah <laughs> it was two weeks ago i you know it, it does feel like it's been forever i i almost dread the off season a little bit to be perfectly honest with you yeah um you know the the off season's a miserable experience and i it, it when we get to free agency frenzy that's when things get exciting for a little bit, and then it really calms down until draft. So you got right. you got about a month, and then you got another almost two months, like a month and a half wait till draft day, yeah. and then draft day happens, and then is the rough stretch where yeah. there's not a lot going on. Real dry. Yep, we're talking about training camps. Yeah. A lot of stuff happening there. Right. Um, but, you know, because of that, obviously we, we moved to that, that uh, bi-weekly situation here. So we're going to be doing every two weeks, you know, throughout the off season, those types of things go on. But then when the season kicks back in, we go back to weekly. So so we'll, we'll be back on during the regular season and all throughout the Super Bowl. Um, but, you know, as it currently stands, it's an every two-week type situation. Uh, we will, next week, we will be here. We will be on board next Saturday because it's the post-Super Bowl episode, so we want to be able to bring that stuff to you. But then after that, it's every two weeks. Mm. So, you know, that's we we got to bring it down for you guys a little bit during the, during the <laughs> offseason. we got to let this the league reload a little bit. Right. You know, there's not enough stuff going on at that juncture in time to merit a weekly show at that point, I found. Yeah, not, not many tackles. 
taking place. Yeah, that's exactly. But we do have our conference championship round in the books. We've got our two contenders for the Super Bowl. Oh, uh, yeah. Boots, let's we're jump into these scores. Are you ready? I'm ready, bro. Uh, all right, let's jump in to these scores for conference championship weekend, starting out with the Chiefs and the Bengals, a close one. The Chiefs come out 23-20. to Patty Mahomes exercises the demon of Joe Burrow, who is just beating the brakes off of him. Um, the Chiefs get it done here. Boots, I, you know, Joe Burrow did not play good football in this game. He looked iffy at best. Uh, this was not Joe Burrow that we're used to seeing, right? I think the the biggest problem with the uh, Bengals continues to rear its ugly head, and that's their uh, lack of talent at the offensive line position. Yes. Especially elite talent. I agree. Multiple times. Frank Clark got, you know, into the backfield many times. Chris Jones. Chris Jones, whether they were sacking the quarterback or – or just pressuring him to the point where he was making bad decisions and, and or forced out of the pocket or, you know, just forced into bad situations. That's what was happening all game long. Steve Spagnolo, that defense is, is, is phenomenal, especially when they're playing at home in the playoffs. Yeah, you were talking about it last week. You had mentioned Steve Spagnolo and, and uh, how he just kind of, his defense shows up at playoff time. You, you were mentioning that. You can beat them all throughout the season like a drum, but when it comes to the playoffs. Yep, that defense shows up. Uh, Chris Jones in this game, I couldn't get over how he was plowing through that that, uh, offensive line. I mean, he he was beating the brakes off of Joe Burrow all game long. Uh, Burrow, 26 for 41, 270, a touchdown and two picks on the day. So, I mean, the the touchdown-to-interception ratio was bowling shoe ugly. Uh, T. Higgins was the leading receiver for them. And uh, which is kind of interesting. I thought Jamar Chase was underutilized in this game, um, but I feel like a lot of that does have to do with the pass rush situation that we saw. And to mitigate that pass rush, they needed to get the ball to Tyler Boyd a little more. Here's, yep. the, here's the problem. Boyd went out early with an injury uh, to the lower body. I'm not sure if it was an ankle or knee or what, or what it was, but he went out early. I believe he was going to be the key to continuing drives knowing that the defensive line was going to put pressure on Burrow. Right, I agree. I, I think that uh, Tyler Boyd, he only had two catches for 40 yards in this game, but think about that, two catches for 40 yards, so yeah. we're talking 20 yards per catch. Yeah, the second one was a key first down, that, and I believe that's the play he got injured on. Yep, and and it was it was interesting to see uh, uh, how they struggled without that kind of three-headed attack there. Yeah. A guy that was strangely quiet because he was hot near the end of the season was Hayden Hurst as well. I thought Hayden Hurst was uh, grossly underutilized in this game. He only had four receptions for 37 yards. That's true. Yep, they they needed to get the ball to him more. If you remember, we were in the last show, we were talking about how yep. red hot he was yep. uh, near the back end, and and he was underutilized. And then on the other side, Patrick Mahomes looks, and, and he wins the MVP award this, this past week and they had the NFL awards. He looked every bit of the MVP that he needed to look like. 29 for 43, 326, two touchdowns. He didn't throw an interception in the game. This was vintage Patrick Mahomes. And a guy that that stood up, and and I loved seeing it for the first time in a long time, is Marquez Valdez-Scantling actually looked like a number one receiver out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, like an RKO. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Out of nowhere. he, He Six receptions, 116 yards, a touchdown. He was all over the place, and and Travis Kelsey doing Travis Kelsey things. I mean, these type of things go on. Uh, the lack of a running game was a little concerning as far as as far as uh, the Chiefs go. Isaiah Pacheco only had 26 yards on the day, but 
at the end of the day, the Chiefs get the W here through a, an excellent passing ta- attack and a great pass rush. This shows the excellence and what it means to a team when you have a main event top guy at quarterback. Yep, absolutely. And that he can make the difference between winning and losing. Yep. Point blank, period. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we always, a lot of people will talk about statistics and whatever the case may be. We see it. I mean, hell, we're Vikings fans. We see it in the, the talk about Kirk Cousins all the time. The stats, the stats, the stats. And uh, a lot of people laugh at the, the QB wins crowd. That's what you hear. Yeah. Oh, QB wins aren't a stat. Well, you know what? Last I checked, Patrick Mahomes wins an awful lot. And when you <laughs> and it's and it's not always about the throw. It's about when and where you make the throw. Right. Right. It, it's it's not always. It's how you impact the game at the quarterback position. And there's a couple of guys I will talk about later when we when we discuss some of the draft guys. That is more important to me than anything else. Measurables, height, weight, speed, whatever you want to call it. I don't care. If you've got a leader and you've got an elite level talent at quarterback, you can win. Yeah, I agree. Um, and Patrick Mahomes showed every bit of that. The Chiefs making their way to their second Super Bowl in five years. They've been in the AFC title, or actually third Super Bowl in five years. Yeah. They've been in the AFC title game five times out of five years. That's you know, wild. Almost looking like the Patriots dynasty a little bit here with Andy Reid doing a wonderful job. Yep. Do you think Mahomes can can wind up beating out the uh, Tom Brady era uh, uh, records and Super Bowls and all that other stuff? Hey, he's got a shot. Yeah, I think he does. He's really good. A generational talent, as they say. Yeah, yeah, I think he does. So uh, the Chiefs are now the AFC representative going into the Super Bowl and their opponents. Now, here's the thing. I... I'm sorry, man. I know we just had the State of the Union, and we don't get political here. But I gotta say this. Yeah. Directly to the Cincinnati mayor. Oh God. While you're talking about and disrespecting Patrick Mahomes the Second's lineage. Yeah. And who his father is. Let me tell you something. <laughs> How about? You spend your time passing legislation or whatever it is that you do to ban the sale and use of Skyline Chili. (laughs) Let me tell you something. Let me tell you, Cincinnati, about this Skyline Chili. Oh, boy. Skyline, it is terrible. Let me tell you this time I went and got Skyline Chili, Scotty. It's terrible. Ten years ago. I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> I didn't go to a greasy spoon. I didn't go in there to the grocery store and get a can of Skyline Chili and put it all together myself. No, I went to an established commercial Skyline Chili restaurant. <laughs> now I walk in and I see the little old lady behind the counter. She say, can I help you, son? I say, yeah, I want to see what the what's causing all this, as the horseman would say. <laughs> I need a bowl of this Skyline Chili. <laughs> and she gets this smile on her face. She say, okay, you go ahead, sit down, and I'm going to bring it out to you. And I sat down, and she took her big wide behind around that counter. And she came back with a bowl of Skyline Chili. <laughs> now, I took the first bite. My stomach said, mm-hmm, what you doing? 
I said, I'm having Skyline Chili. He said, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. He said, no, you're not. But I kept it down because I'm strong, Scotty. <laughs> you got to be strong for that. And on the second bite, half my taste buds fell out my mouth. <laughs> A tear came to my eye. But I was going to finish this bowl of Skyline Chili. <laughs> and on the third bite, I said, fuck it. I can't do it no more. My body is a temple. <laughs> and I'm disrespecting it right now. <laughs> and I left that bowl of Skyline Chili right damn there. <laughs> you know how terrible Skyline Chili is? It's awful. It is. Brother, that is something that the guy that comes in at the end of the restaurant, when the restaurant's about to close. Sir, we're, we're closing in 10 minutes. Now, come on, baby. Help help Goosey out, baby. <laughs> Just put something together for me. Sir, all we man, what y'all got back there? Man, all we got is some uh, some some spaghetti, some chili, some onions, and some cheese. That sounds good, baby. Hook old Goosey up. You know, hurt nobody. <laughs> all right, man, just put that in the bowl and give it to him. And, you know, and when Goosey ate that bowl of Skyline chili before he passed out, all he saw was the Cincinnati skyline. <laughs> How about Mayor? Bengal, you bald-headed worm, you banned the sale and use of Skyline Chili. <laughs> it's biodegradable. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Ah. Instead of instead of talking about Burrowhead, Burrowhead, let's, give me a break. You want y'all shut? <laughs> <laughs> let's let's ban the Skyline Chili. Yeah. Focus on that. Yeah. Instead of talking <laughs> trash like you won twelve Super Bowl. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> I think y'all should keep quiet. <laughs> as Jay-Z would say. Yeah, I, I went. I actually did. It's funny that you mentioned that. My wife and I did go down to, to Cincinnati to see mm-hmm. the Vikings play the Bengals. And we went down there uh, last year. And I managed to have a bowl of Skyline Chili. You kept it down? Uh, very barely. <laughs> I kept it down. Well, I'll, t- I'll put it this way. My my belly kept it down, but then it it shot it out the other way, and oh. I, yeah, it was it was not fun. Might as well leave poor White Castle. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Skyline Chili is not going to be sponsoring the show anytime uh, soon. <laughs> 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 Please don't. Yeah, that's that's for damn sure. I will never endorse Skyline Chili. Oh God, but um. Cincinnati gets eliminated, and, and they can go and eat Skyline Chili down there. And in the meantime, uh, the Chiefs head on to the Super Bowl. Their opponents, however, will be uh, none other than the Philadelphia Eagles, who defeated the San Francisco 49ers 31-7. The Eagles, man. You know, the, the Niners, I, I can't even say that the Eagles went out and played great ball. What I can say is that the Niners, man, they just ran into some awful yeah. luck. Yeah, that's all that was. I, I mean, I expected a much better game than we got. Uh, and and what we got was Brock Purdy getting his elbow basically snapped backwards. He went to throw the ball. The Eagles came around the corner. His elbow got hyperextended. Uh, it tears his UCL. Uh, Brock Purdy, and, and we'll, you know, I was going to talk about this a little later, Brock Purdy is going to need Tommy John surgery this offseason. We, we uh, talked about that. He'll be out for probably about six months. They believe that he's going to be ready for camp. I think that's crazy talk. Usually a Tommy John surgery puts you out for a year. Man. Um, <clears throat> you, you tear your UCL, and that's usually game over. 
Uh, Josh Johnson comes in the game. He was a disaster. He suffers a concussion. They have to put Brock Purdy out there. Brock Purdy comes back out. Doesn't throw a pass damn near the whole rest of the game. They're handing the ball off nonstop. They even put they can't. Yeah, they yeah. put Christian McCaffrey in at quarterback at one point. He goes 0 for 1. It was just a bad situation for the San Francisco 49ers. Um, and, and they just got pounded by this Philadelphia Eagles team. And Christian McCaffrey did run the ball 15 times for 84 yards and a touchdown. Uh, he was the lone bright spot on this 49ers team. A lot of people are, are talking about the Eagles right now. And how the Eagles are are uh, world beaters, and and you know everybody is you know the Eagles currently as it stands going into the Super Bowl they are favored by a point and a half over the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I think that the Eagles are a little overhyped at this point. If I'm being honest, I think the uh, the Eagles kind of had. If you look at what the Eagles had this year, and I understand there's a hype train here. A lot of times you see the hype train come rolling through. We saw it a few back in 2017 with the Eagles when they had the underdog thing going on, and this year, I think the Eagles are, are to be honest, a, a little overhyped. I don't think they played as well as a lot of people are. I mean, look at Jalen Hurts, 15 for 25 for 121 yards. They couldn't get anything going against the San Francisco defense in this game. Um, and, and Miles Sanders, 11 carries for 42 yards. Kenneth Gainwell, 14 for 48 yards. They're only averaging 3-4, 3-8. Jalen Hurts averaged 3-5. They ran the ball, but it wasn't effectively. It was one of those situations where they they were given so many opportunities by a bad San Francisco offense because they had no quarterback that the Eagles managed to get away with one here. I'm a firm believer that if Brock Purdy remains in this game, because if you look at Brock Purdy before he got hurt, he was 4 for 4 for 23 yards. I think that Brock Purdy remains in this game. We're having a completely different conversation about who is going to the Super Bowl and who isn't. What, what say you, Boots? I have a tough time with that just because the defensive line of the Philadelphia Eagles is very good, dominant. Mm -hmm. They are over 60 sacks from the defensive line. Mm -hmm. That, to me, spells trouble for opposing quarterbacks. Hassan Reddick at the defensive end spot, Josh Sweat at the defensive end. They are game records when it comes time for... Game time, right? And if right. you and if you recall, Hassan Reddick in the beginning of his career was not good until no. the last two seasons, and I and I believe he was playing out of position. Yes, and the and and the Eagles figured it out where to put him and why to put him there, right? And it's bared tons of fruit for this whole uh, Eagles team. I will say this though, they played the Eagles played the last place schedule, but. They smashed whoever was in front of them. Right. Nine times out of ten. Yeah, they, you know, the first game, I hear people say, oh, the Lions gave them a, a shot. Well, you see how how well the Lions offense performed no, all, right. all season. So I wouldn't go so far as to say. And, that, and, and let's also be clear about that yeah. game. That score, even though it, it looks close, was not as close as it says. At one yeah. point, they, they were yeah. down, what, 38-7 to seven at one point, yeah. the Lions were? I mean... And, and they had to fight back yeah. all game long just to get to 38-35. And it was the first game of the season. And teams are typically more prepared for the first game of the season more than any other game that they're going to have. Right. Right. So I I do like the Eagles. Here's 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 something that hadn't been brought up, though. Uh, when the Eagles were running the ball effectively when it came time, when in key moments they yeah. ran the ball effectively. 
four touchdowns on the ground, mm-hmm. that's running the ball effectively when when necessary. Here's another thing. Uh, TJ Lang said this a few days ago, and it hit me just just the other day. It hit me. Jalen Hurts' shoulder still may not be 100%. Yeah, I don't think it is. Yeah, because look at how the passing game just wasn't working against the nope. 49ers. Nope. And the Cowboys were, were able to move the ball through the air as bad as Dak Prescott was in that game. C.D. Lamb got him. The Seahawks were able to move the ball through the air against the 49ers. Absolutely. And so Jalen Hurts, with as well as he played, with Devontae Smith at the receiver spot, right. with A.J. Brown at the receiver spot, way better than almost any other team that they played against and he did not execute right and I think it's got a lot to do with that show and and if you look at what the 49ers that they're the problem that they had with the uh, uh, as far as their defense went their their run stopping was incredible yeah the problem that they always had was their the pass, their, the pass defense yeah and and their, their pass defense is you know they they actually pass defended well, and, and a lot yep. of that, I think, like you said, has to do with Jalen Hurts and the injured shoulder. I mean, 15 for 25 for, for 121. I mean, it was short yardage passes. I mean, there wasn't a lot going on. I mean, if, if 121 yards, no, you know, I mean, that's that's not the Jalen Hurts we're used to seeing. And I and I get what you're saying that in key moments when when they had the opportunity, they ran the ball effectively, and and I get that. I just look at you know. A three-four average from Kenneth Gainwell, a three-eight average from Miles Sanders, a three-five average from Jalen Hurts, a three-five average from Boston Scott. Those are not winning numbers there, as no. far as your your averages go. It, it's it's very not on an individual basis, but as a team, as a right, team, yeah. Forty-two was that forty-two carries as a as a team and four touchdowns. Yeah, that's you know <laughs> they 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 definitely spread it out a lot. I. I want to see if they can be that effective against this Chiefs team. And I don't think the Chiefs defense is as, as strong as, as San Francisco's by any stretch no, of the imagination. But no. Especially away from home. No. Right. But Steve Spagnolo over here is operating on a different level. I, I have this yeah. strange mindset here, this strange thought that you're going to see Jalen Hurts hurried and slapped around in the Super Bowl. And that brings us to, so we're at the Super Bowl. It's Eagles versus Chiefs uh, getting ready to come up here tomorrow. Uh, we're less than, well, we're just over 24 hours away from that. TikTok. Yeah, Eagles and Chiefs. Uh, I want to, let, let's chat about it. Let's get into our, um, we're going to do our predictions early. It's We're going to go a little bit out of uh, context here because it is. Uh, That's what everybody wants to hear. Yeah, everybody wants to know what 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 do Boots and Scotty think. Well, here we here we are, especially Boots and Scott. Yeah, let's let's find out what they think. Well, um, look, I, I am going with the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl game. I believe that. I, I think that, and like you said, I think the shoulder injury is affecting Jalen Hurts a lot more than a lot of people want to realize. I do think that um, there's a lot of pass rushing talent when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs right now. There and, and Steve Spagnolo is he's doing something else right now. I think. They focused more so on their pass rush, knowing the two teams that they're taking on right now, knowing that Jalen Hurts likes to wiggle and run, and knowing that Jalen Hurts has the injured shoulder, so they're not going to have to rely so much on, on pass defense as much as they are going to have to rely on bringing that pass rush. I think they knew 
going into that Bengals game that the Bengals had two injured offensive linemen and that they were just going to bring the rain down on Joe Burrow as much as they could, and they did so effectively. The Eagles have a great offensive line. We know that. But I don't know that Jalen Hurts is prepared to, to handle business the way that, that he needs to handle business. I don't know that Jalen Hurts is prepared uh, for what Steve Spagnuolo and this Kansas City G, uh, Chiefs defense is going to bring. I, and, and we always laugh a little bit because the Chiefs defense is notoriously, it has notoriously not been good. You've, year over year over year we talk about it. The Chiefs defense, eh, they're not that great. Right. This Chiefs defense can play off time, though, is something else, though. And and I I see it. I see it. I see it coming. I think Jalen Hurts is going to get slapped around a little bit. And, uh, you know, the, the Chiefs, they, they're, I mean, they, they're getting guys back, too. I mean, Ladarius Sneed clears concussion protocol this week. I mean, so now they got one of their top corners back. This Eagles defense is in trouble, and then, or the offense, rather, is in trouble. And that offensive tackle, Lane Johnson, he said he's ready to face off against Chris Jones in the Super Bowl. He's got a groin injury. So, I mean, I, it, do you think it, Lane Johnson, as good as he is, and I love Lane Johnson, I think he's a, uh, an excellent offensive tackle. He's tremendous. But do you think he's going to be able to handle Chris Jones playing at as high of a level as he is? Uh, uh, I don't know. I have questions. I think because the offensive line of the Philadelphia Eagles is so good. Right. They've got so much depth. Yeah. They can bully you off the ball we saw them be able to bully teams off the ball and run it effectively Mm -hmm. all season long uh they can the eagles can play any any way you want to play you know you want to run it we'll run it you want to throw it we'll throw it we'll squab it out as walker would say it's a very diverse offense that can play any way you want to play and that's exactly what you want Mm -hmm. from your offense so last week or two weeks ago, however long, however long it's been, <laughs> when when Jalen Hurts and the passing game just wasn't as effective, they went right to the run and they were able and the Eagles were able to control a lot of the second half against the 49ers. But the problem I have with that is how much of that was a product of the quarterback situation with San Francisco and and the the 49ers legitimately couldn't throw the ball. They couldn't move the ball at all. But the, the Eagles were able to. That's just what I'm. Yep. That's just what I see. They've been able to do it all season long. Mm-hmm. You know, rushing the ball. Right. They've been one of one of the top teams running the football all year long. And if Jalen Hurts' shoulder is not 100, percent which obviously it isn't, then that's just what they'll lean on. They'll lean on running the football, and they don't have to run towards you know Lane Johnson and, and Chris Jones. They can easily run to the right side. They've 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 got the best offensive line in the league to be able to do that and lean on team and lean on, on the chiefs if they need to, to eke out a win. Right. And that, and that's a possibility. And then on the other side of the ball, Mm -hmm. it's Patrick Mahomes against a very, very good Eagles defense. Um, The Eagles defense has been uh, really quietly strong all year. They've, they've been very good. Uh, especially in the secondary, but it's Patrick Mahomes. And yeah. Patrick Mahomes is one of those guys that will slap around just about anybody. Last time these two teams met, the Chiefs did beat the Eagles 35-27 to at the last time they met. Um, the Chiefs offense, getting back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he comes off of IR. Uh, they did lose Meikle Hardman. He is placed on IR. But outside of that... 
Was he ever really there, though? Yeah, exactly. He's He's been such a quiet member of that team this season. Hardman was was had a much bigger role in, in past seasons. This year, though, very quiet. Um, he gets placed on IR, but Clyde Edwards-Hellaire, it, he's kind of an interesting one. I have never been a big Clyde Edwards-Hellaire fan. I am just not. I think Clyde is is um, square peg round hole. Yeah, you know that's that's kind of where I'm at on him. I think that they they tried to take a change of pace back and stuff him into a lead back role. Not a foundational back at all. No, and and I agree with you. I think that he is is a change of pace guy, and they should have left him there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe should have left him at LSU. Here's the thing, he's <laughs> he's not he's not a blocker. No. So you cannot use him in the way that the Chiefs used uh, Jarek McKinnon in the uh, AFC Championship game yep. to help protect an injured uh, Patrick Mahomes, the second. Yeah, the second. Yeah, <laughs> I like, so, like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so because you can't be so because you cannot use him in certain key situations, he almost becomes expendable in a way. Yep. And Isaiah Pacheco runs harder. Yep. Runs better, and is stronger than than uh ceh as, yeah as they call them. and i actually think that that uh um you know not as not only is pacheco stronger i think Jarek mckinnon is better than than clyde edwards hellier to be honest he is. With you. he is i think he's been more effective for this offense and and the chiefs though the the interesting thing is outside of hardman going on ir they've got a clear slate as far as the injured reserve stuff their offense is ready to rock and roll um, yeah. You're going to have Smith Schuster back out there, which is exciting to say the least. I mean, and <laughs> and obviously um, uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling has been playing. Uh, the last game he played out of his mind. Uh, a lot of people it kind kind of quietly went under the radar how good he was last game. And obviously Travis Kelsey's going to be out there. And one thing about the Eagles, so the Eagles have a, a, a really good pass rush, and I think people are sleeping a little bit though on that Chiefs offensive line. If you remember. Last year, mm-hmm. Creed Humphrey mm-hmm. last year was the number one center in all of football as a rookie. He was our show's mm-hmm. rookie of the year last year. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and, and that's right, our show's rookie of the year. Beat out Micah Parsons for our show's rookie of the year because he flew under the radar as a center. He was the top-ranked rookie out of anybody, and he was the best center in all of football as a rookie. And a lot of times, and, and this year, by the way, and I will point it out, Sauce Gardner wound up being the defensive rookie of the year this year. He was our show MV or our show rookie of the year. Stand up, Detroit. Yep. And then also uh, going over to the offensive rookie of the year this year, Garrett Wilson, who was our top offensive rookie. Garrett Wilson was our top offensive rookie. So I just want to point out we're not crazy. <laughs> you know, we're, we're not all crazy around here. But and and actually, it's it's funny, and, and we I I made a mention of it on our page, and I I thought it was interesting to to say our uh, the MVP this year was Patrick Mahomes. Our show MVP this year was Justin Jefferson. The guy who was right behind him by a half a half a point was Patrick Mahomes. Justin Jefferson wins Offensive uh, Player of the Year. So yeah. I mean, here we are. I mean, we we were spot on this year. Straight up, Woo. spot on. <laughs> this is yeah. that's what I mean yeah. when, you, when you talk about elite main event top guy. Yep, and Patrick Mahomes has he's going to have all of his his offensive weapons. He's going to have that beautifully put together offensive line that people have slept on 
uh, uh, Joe Thune is there. Everybody gets excited about Joe Thune. Uh, you know, you, you talk about Creed Humphrey. Orlando you, uh, Brown. Orlando Brown. And Orlando Brown, he wants top money, but Orlando Brown is still a good player. And, and I just, I really believe that the Kansas City Chiefs have the edge on this Eagles defense more than people want to understand. The hype train is there for the Eagles, but people are sleeping on the Chiefs. And I think Vegas in particular is sleeping on the Kansas City Chiefs. I really do. Yeah, well, matter of fact, since we're talking about it, I'll, we'll check in. The uh, spread opened mm-hmm. at uh, Philly at minus... Uh, two and a half, was it, originally? Two and a half originally, then they now it's at one and a half. But yep. it's been at one and a half now for... for about a week. Yeah. Yep. So what that means is, for all of us, there's nothing going... There's people... If Philly was so much better than the Chiefs, mm-hmm. as the, we are led to believe, they were so much better, why is the spread only at one and a half? Yep, and why did the spread close a little get a little closer? Just when you didn't think it could get closer, at two and a half, it closes to one yeah. and a half. Yeah, I mean, it's been there. That shows you that the people still do believe in mm-hmm. the Chiefs, and in, in particular, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes is the the key. The second, to, yeah, <laughs> he's the key to the whole thing. That's yeah. the thing. I mean, yeah. that's. Yeah, I, I think I I believe in this Kansas City Chiefs team. I'm going Chiefs here. Boots, who you take? All right, so you you you, you threw me for a loop because I thought you were going to build it up a little before you just came out with it. I'm, I'm going to fire it. I'm, yeah. I'm taking the Chiefs. <laughs> I thought you were going to build a little. No, bit. no. There's there's a 53-man roster for every NFL team, right? Mm-hmm. And if you look at a 53-man roster for the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs, 50 of the 53 positions would go to the Philadelphia Eagles, mm-hmm. right? Three positions would go to the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Quarterback, yep. tight end, mm-hmm. and probably kicker. <laughs> Harrison Butker is very good. Okay. So, with that being said, neutral site, you always go with the better defense mm. because offense wins cha- offense wins games, defense wins championships. Unless you are standing across the field from a generational talent, the, the epitome of what it takes to play high-level elite quarterback at the NFL level, yep. and that would be Patrick Mahomes. The second. <laughs> and let's not forget, you know, as, as good as Nick Sirianni has been, um, he has a, he's almost had a ride on easy street to this situation. He's a young head coach, but he's sort of had a ride on easy street. Very good roster, very easy schedule. And then if you look across the, the field, the man that people are, are not thinking about is that big, nasty walrus that's standing on the other side with that handlebar mustache, big red Andy Reid, <laughs> who is one of the greatest coaches we've ever had the pleasure of yeah. watching. Yeah. I mean, that's that that man is something else. Taking two different teams from two different uh, conferences. Yep. Not only to conference championships, but to the Super Bowl itself. Yep. yep. Uh, that's a, a huge accomplishment. Two completely different coaching staffs, all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy Reid, one of the best coaches with, that we've seen in the history of the league. Yep. Can't deny it. 
uh, and you you match that experience level with an elite generational talent at quarterback, you get some magic. Yes. The Chiefs did an excellent job revamping the offensive line when they were embarrassed by a couple Bucks, years ago yeah. by the Bucks. Yeah. Did a fantastic job retooling that offensive line. It shows you can rebuild within the offseason and compete at a high level the very next season. Absolutely. You, you can do it. So don't tell me you can't. You just have to be willing to do it and make the proper decisions, which they did. Everything in me says the Eagles win this game. I don't see a football reason why the Eagles should lose, except for Patrick Mahomes the <laughs> second. It, it's, it's just been it's been getting at me. So if you caught the two and a half early, uh, uh, Chiefs plus two and a half early, good luck, good good deal for you. Yep. Because that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to go Chiefs plus the one and a half. Mm. And the only way the Eagles win is if they blow out the Chiefs. I don't think they blow out the Chiefs. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a stick to what I originally thought. I'm going to yeah. say the Eagles are going to win, but the Chiefs get the cover. I'm picking the Eagles. Oh, ah! <laughs> you hate to say it. Ah! <laughs> I mean, better uh, offense wins games, defense wins championships. The last few years, we've seen defenses show up in the Super Bowl sure. and really wreck, wreck havoc and, and, and wreck shot. I'm really interested to see how the tight ends. I think Justin Watson is a very. I think Justin Watson might have himself a, a, a key player two in this game for the for the Chiefs. Yep, and then uh, I, you know you know who I'm excited to see in this game, and who has um, kind of slept on a little bit is Dallas Goddard. I think Dallas Goddard is mm, going to show mm-hmm, up in a big mm-hmm, way in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, people people are you know you always hear the hype train about Devontae Smith and AJ yeah. Brown and everything that those two are doing, and and uh, you know what. Dallas Goddard is going to be a key component to the Eagles' offensive plays here. Yeah, because if if Hertz is compromised, he's going to look to throw the ball a little bit short to intermediate, yep. and that's where Dallas Goddard is going to eat a little bit. Yep, and guys, and and uh, you know, we've been seeing one guy, uh, another guy that has been quietly making waves, and nobody seems to be talking about him is Kenneth Gainwell. Yes, Gainwell has been just uh, uh, an artist he's in the better. last <laughs> last couple of games here. He's better than Miles Sanders. Yeah, you think so? Absolutely. I think Miles Sanders good runner. I, I just don't think he fits what the Eagles are doing. There's those games where Miles Sanders will blow up for 200 yards and then he'll he'll get done and yeah. oh, now I'm going to go for 40 for the next 3. Yeah. Got, they got a collection of RB2s. Yeah. Over there in, in Philly, but Gainwell is the best one. Yeah, and that's I agree with you 100%. I think that's a collection of RB2s. That's that's the best way to put that. Um, so those are our predictions, and uh, those are your scores for the conference championship. Those are our predictions for the Super Bowl. I mean, it. this is going to be an exciting weekend. It's going to be a good weekend. I've been fired up all weekend. <laughs> I've been fired up, and not just because my birthday was on Friday, just, just because it's it's like, Super Bowl weekend, birthday weekend, right. I'm going to be eating cake and all this all good shit, right. and I'm going to be making pulled pork. It's going to be a great time. But uh, we have other stuff going on around the league. We talked a little bit uh, earlier about uh, stuff going on with the, the 49ers and the, 
the problems that they were having at the quarterback position, the fact that Brock Purdy is going to undergo Tommy John surgery. Our news around the league, you know, uh, a lot of it's centered around, like, a lot of coaching changes, but we got some some player news. We got a little bit. So, obviously, we know Purdy's undergoing the, the Tommy John. 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan, GM John Lynch, are voicing support for a, quote, emergency quarterback rule uh, that would have helped them avoid a catastrophe like they had in the NFC title game. Uh, it was a disaster. Really, it was. And, and them not having a quarterback there and needing an emergency quarterback. And, and you know, now Purdy is going to undergo Tommy John because he does have the torn UCL. Uh, he is expected to be back for training camp. But, man, what a what a mess that turned out to be. Um, emergency quarterback rule. I mean, it, do, you, do you think they should be able to have, like, a 54th guy out there <laughs> as far as being an emergency quarterback? I mean, what do we make of this? That's, pr- that's probably a little strong. But I, you've got a 53-man roster. Right. You can, you've got three quarterbacks. And you could probably put a fourth down if you if mm-hmm. you absolutely needed to. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's what they should have done, knowing they that they only had the uh, two healthy ones. I mean, Garoppolo. They knew Garoppolo wasn't ready to play. Yep. So you know, I don't. I'm not sure if you can uh, upgrade somebody from the practice squad. You know, during the playoffs or or whatever. But you know, this is what you pay your your research and development teams and your. This is what you pay your general manager for. Yeah. yeah. To, you know, hey. I mean, this this is one of those situations, a once in a lifetime type situation where you lose two quarterbacks in the same game. Well, now we need an emergency quarterback. Well, well, no, you don't because no, you it don't. hadn't happened before. Right. You know, if it continues to happen, then maybe the NFL should take a look at it. But right now, I'm sorry, man, them the breaks. Yeah, it's just what it is. I mean, bad breaks happen in the league. We see it all the time, and uh, this is just one of those times when when a bad break took place. And I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, like you said, they have a 53-man roster. Jimmy G was on IR. You had the opportunity to drop somebody. There had to be somebody on that team that was, I, I, I guess, played such a minimal role that you could have dumped them and picked up a quarterback to have them learn your system or have somebody on the practice squad or whatever you needed to do. And instead, what did they do? They they sat around with two quarterbacks, and they, they got excited about Brock Purdy, and I understand the excitement about this kid, Mr. Irrelevant, becoming relevant, and all this other hubbub that they make. But at the end of the day, Brock Purdy did not play well in the playoffs. We'll start there. He he did well against a, a bad Seattle team, yeah, and then he did poor against the Dallas Cowboys, and then he got popped against against uh, the, the uh, Eagles there. When he came up against the two best defenses that he was going to, to see. Yep. You saw what happened. Yep, and and uh, he got sacked, and then he, he got the UCL tear after only throwing four passes. I mean, it just it wasn't good. Uh, and and now you've got an injured quarterback with a, an injured UCL. I, I t- it is what it is. You failed to properly staff your team, and now you got screwed. Absolutely. And now you're mad about it. And it seems like every year. I just want to point out. I, I think it's bullshit that they. At every year, you see something like this go on, particularly in big-time games like the playoffs, and then suddenly yeah. they want some sort of special rule yeah, change. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. you know, for example, the Packers, when they, when Anthony Barr hit Aaron Rodgers and fell on and broke his collarbone, suddenly the Aaron Rodgers rule becomes a thing because yeah. the Packers were pushing for it. Oh, he landed on our star quarterback. Well, that's football. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, that's just what it is. I, I, I think it's kind of silly that, that, you know, a bad thing happens because of your own fault, now you're going to blame the rules as opposed to, blaming your own incompetence in the situation because you had an opportunity to fix the situation, and you didn't. You just sat on your hands and you let it go. 
instead of picking up a quarterback, a third stringer, because you didn't know that Jimmy G was going to be able to play. I mean, it's it's on the Niners here, and and I think it's silly that they're going to do something like that, but uh, that the league is considering that. I think John Lynch and, and Shanahan are kind of, you know, overstepping their bounds yeah. <laughs> in that situation. Maybe if it was Jerry Jones pushing for it, you might. Get it. <laughs> yeah, it might be. <laughs> but the Niners also have some some. Uh, uh, they they originally had some trouble in paradise, but uh, Trent Williams, their offensive tackle, the All Pro, uh, he tells folks he is not retiring and that he will be coming back in twenty three twenty four. So that's good news for the Niners, uh, given the circumstances, right? It's bad news for whoever who was the guy that uh, got thrown down in the Eagles game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's bad news for him because yeah. if he sees you again, you might get that happen again. Yeah, Trent Williams, uh, uh, man, he he was. Uh, uh, and a revelation this year, yeah. honestly. He was yeah. something just incredible. Um, excellent player. I'm, I'm sure the Niners will gladly have them back. Uh, all, the Niners also... All jokes aside, he is a Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah. No joke. No no doubt. He is he is a Hall of Fame guy. And the 49ers also went out, and I love this hire. Uh, they go out and hire the Panthers interim head coach, Steve Wilkes, as their new defensive coordinator. You know, obviously, so... We talked about it last show a little bit that D'Amico Ryans was the guy that was leading the charge for the Texans head coaching job. The Texans did hire D'Amico Ryans as their new oh, head coach. Oh, you buried the lead right there. Yep, yep. Look at you. Yep. You called it. So, so the Texans do go out and they hire D'Amico Ryans. He's the new head coach. The Niners go out and they hire the former Panthers interim head coach, Steve Wilkes. He's their new defensive coordinator. I like this hire. I thought Steve Wilkes was very good for the Panthers uh, as an interim. Uh, once Matt Rule got fired, Wilkes comes in. Does exceptionally well. Panthers actually their their running game. They traded away Christian McCaffrey and got better in the whole situation. How does, how does that happen? Yeah, it right. was it was interesting. Steve Wilkes, um, he was something else in the in these uh, this situation. I, I thought he was a great hire for the Niners. Their defense wasn't bad under him. Uh, I, this is a smart move. I was actually kind of surprised that Steve Wilkes didn't get the the head coaching job with the Panthers after the the performance he put on in the la- latter part of the season. He said he was disappointed. Yeah, maybe if they would have beaten the Bucks, he might have gotten a, a a longer look. Right. But here's the deal: he's a glue guy. Mm-hmm. He's a chemistry team builder. He's the exact type of coach you want on your staff. Absolutely. And Absolutely. That's, and that's why he was given the interim position, probably should have been given the uh, head coach position. Yeah, I think Steve Wilkes is going to wind up catching on eventually. I mean, and and really he's got uh, he's got his uh, um he's got his entire situation like it, he he couldn't be in a better situation with the defense with all those yeah. playmakers and and with Kyle Shanahan, Shanahan and him get along great. I mean, tons of talent in, yeah. the, in the Niners defense so yeah yeah it's it's going to be a, a special time but D'Amico Ryan's exits the 49ers he winds up going to the Texans the Texans start making moves if you if you look at this the Texans go out and they hire defensive line coach Matt Burke as their defensive coordinator he was formerly the defensive coordinator with the Miami Dolphins in 2016 during the Adam Gase era you know obviously we make fun of Adam Gase on the show we have in the past you know for his uh his crazy eyes during uh, uh, his interview when he came in with the Jets and, and you know, looking like he was strung out on cocaine. But <laughs> but uh, at the end of the day, Matt Burke was a good defensive coordinator for that Miami Dolphins team. Uh, the I, I like this hire, to be honest with you, and I think he really finds himself in a good position with the, the Cardinals. Cardinals are pretty stacked up up front on that defensive line. I like this move. I think it's smart. It is. He's a... Uh... He's not a, a, 
a huge name and widely known in coaching circles. No. But I think that might change depending on how the uh, defense performs. Yeah, I, I, I do think you're going to see a, an improvement on the defensive front as far as uh, uh, the Cardinals go. Um, they they needed they needed some work. Obviously, they still do. Um, but they're they're going to make some moves, and and I think he's going to be finding himself in a, a positive situation. Speaking of the Cardinals and the Houston Texans, the Texans are interviewing former Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury for the offensive coordinator job. Now, originally, last show we were talking, there was an idea that Sean McVay and Cliff Kingsbury were going to come together with the Rams, and that Kingsbury was going to join that Rams staff. But now Kingsbury's out there interviewing for Texans jobs here. I, I, what do you think of this? I think Cliff Kingsbury is probably a really, really good offensive coordinator. I agree. He, as a head coach, mm, yeah, you know, jury, you know, probably, you know, they're <laughs> deliberated on that one. But yeah. I think he is an excellent offensive mind. Uh, he runs the ball. Here's the thing. You think about the Cardinals and they're throwing the ball all over the place mm -hmm. with uh, Kyler Murray throwing it to Marquise Brown and, and uh, uh, DeAndre Hopkins and, and Zach Ertz and throwing it all over the place. But when they get down in the goal line, goal to go situations, they're handing the ball to, to James Conner. Yep. When they get down at the goal line and it's and they can't, you know, can't risk tr maybe turning the ball over or not getting the first down. Hey, let's kick it. Yeah. Right. And actually, you know, have a, a smart football play and kick the field goal when necessary. Kicking field goals to get you beat. But when you need to, you need to. Yeah. And he showed the ability to do that almost to his detriment the first year he, he was head coaching. <laughs> but he's shown the willingness to run the ball when necessary, kick the field goal when necessary and continue to move the ball. So I, I think that is a good hire. Yeah. I, I if. Yeah, if, if he, he goes, if he yeah. goes there, and and but I do think uh, uh, Kingsbury going to Houston, big move for them. I I, I they're going to find their new quarterback in the future, and yeah, they will. I'll tell you exactly who it's going to be. Yeah, and they're they're going to go out and they're going to draft their quarterback in the future. And it, I mean, there there are some names that are being floated out there, you know. But Houston, I, I mean, I, they they could wind up in a good position. Cliff Kingsbury's good with young quarterbacks, and the defense in Houston, not bad. No, not bad at all. Thank you, thank you, Lovey Smith. You look at the record and you say, ah, oh, yeah. but no, the defense is not bad. You don't. I think the quarterback situation might have been a little mm -hmm. bad. Yep. But the defense itself was 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 not that bad. They they've got Daryl Stingley Jr. Uh, at at uh, cover mm -hmm. in the, in the secondary and and the linebacker play is is, is really good. I like uh, Houston's chances right now. It's a very winnable division. Also. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very much so. And uh, speaking of, of Cliff Kingsbury, his former team, the Cardinals, has said that they're going to wait until the Super Bowl to name their new head coach. Uh, I want to float a name out there because we're waiting till after the Super Bowl. A guy that was being interviewed for their head coaching position, let's talk about Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinator for the Eagles. We see how good the Eagles' defense has been this year. Here we are, Jonathan Gannon. We're waiting until the end of the Super Bowl. Jonathan Gannon has already interviewed for that Cardinals head coaching gig. I, I, I'm starting to connect the dots. Is his head in the desert already? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I think Jonathan Gannon is 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 kind of a, a. I think it would be a good hire given the circumstances. I think the uh, Cardinals' job is a perfect retirement job for for a guy who who's a little <laughs> older, 
mm-hmm. who, for for a coach who might be looking to uh, to to end his coaching career with a giant paycheck. Yeah, because as long as Kyler Murray is the quarterback, it's going to be hard to get a to, <laughs> to get a real head coach in there to because I read I read something that the Cardinals search has been stalled because some coaches just don't want to deal with, with Kyler, Kyler Murray. Murray. Yep, yep. That's the the common thing that's that's happening with, the, with a lot of these interviews. They don't want to deal with Kyler Murray and his attitude. They saw how hard of a time he had with Cliff Kingsbury. And and Cliff Kingsbury strikes me as a real easygoing type of right. laissez-faire type of coach. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, young guy. You you would think that that the two young guys would get along You'd a think. lot better. Um, right. but it turned out not so much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so as long as, and Murray's got four years left on the deal. If you go to if you go to Arizona to coach, just know that it's a giant check because you probably won't win. The the age in the roster is something that people aren't talking about. There's a lot of age in that roster. Yep. And. Like I said, if you're a head coach and you're looking to, to retire and just get a giant check, just just go coach for the Cardinals. <laughs> yeah, and wait out Kyler Murray. And one guy that didn't want to wait out for Kyler Murray and and want to deal with him was Brian Flores. Flores was a finalist for that Cardinals head coaching job, but he decides to go be the defensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings. Oh, yeah, I'm here for it. I I like this hire. I'm. I have questions about what Flores is going to do. Obviously, the Vikings took the move from 4-3 to a 3-4 um, on the defensive side of the ball, and now Brian Flores comes back in. He's known for a 4-3. So I want to see what, what Brian Flores is going to do as a defensive coordinator. Personally, I think the Vikings would benefit from moving back to a 4-3. Yeah. Um, uh, and they have the personnel to do it. If you looked at what they did in the 3-4 defense, obviously it was a disaster under Ed Donatel with the shell defense. I have been very adamant about that. I mean, you can just, yeah. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll just add it to the, the streak of shows that I've said Ed Donatel is a, do- a disaster. But, um, you know, I, I really think that Brian Flores is an excellent hire. If they move back to a 4-3, you've got Daniel Hunter, who's more of a hand-in-the-dirt defensive end. I don't understand the logic Ed Donatel had of playing him as an outside linebacker, a stand-up outside linebacker, backing him into coverage. It's just silly nonsense. Put Daniel Hunter, hand in the dirt, get him going. And and there are players on this defense. Eric Kendricks is better in a four or a four three. You know, uh, Harrison Smith's better in a four three. Yeah. That's that's what he was made for. Uh, he's he's a a Back run. Yeah. yeah, he's a run support, support safety. That's yeah. what he does. He's a big hitting, hard hitting. Run support, play recognition type safety. That and he's older, and everybody keeps saying that he lost a step. Oh, Harrison Smith! No, he didn't. He's playing in a bad system with with Ed Donatel in a position that he's not supposed to be do, playing. He's not. He's a safety, but he's not supposed to be. You know, a, playing a double shell here. That's that's not Harrison Smith's forte. So I mean, there there are certain things about this defense where. I really believe that that Brian Flores is going to turn this thing around for the Vikings. I'm I'm excited about it. If if the Vikings offense plays the way that they played this year, and then the defense goes from 31 to say 15, we might be talking about a Super Bowl caliber team here. The Vikings are are set up on the offensive side of the football to be successful, albeit they need a wide receiver too and maybe a guard. But, I mean, they're set up on the offensive side. 
let's go out and, and you know build this defense up make them make them get them more comfortable get them where they need to be you have good players you have two and, and it, it depends on what they do with Dalvin Tomlinson but one thing I do want to point out is if they are going to move to a 4-3 you might not see Zadarius Smith on that field anymore Zadarius Smith might go bye-bye, which I'm not totally against moving to a 4-3. It, it's really, uh, and, and if you move on from Zadarius Smith, you save $15 million on the cap. I mean, it, it might be the move, and then you can get Dalvin Tomlinson back in the middle. You can get your, you have Harrison Phillips already. You have two big run-stuffing defensive tackles. I mean, this is just smart. I like the hire. I think Brian Flores is just a balls-to-the-wall kind of guy. He's got the attitude that we want. What do you make of Brian Flores here? I love the guy. I really like Brian, uh, Brian Flores as a uh, as a defensive coordinator. You're talking about a guy who has beaten Bill Belichick yep. multiple times yep. as a head coach, multiple times. So I like his uh, defensive philosophy, uh, his his mindset, everything that he brings to the table. Uh, intangibles coaching wise. Mm-hmm. Now with that being said, let's go back to this three four for a second. Yeah. In order for the three four defense to truly work, you need a heavy handed anchor yep. run stuffer in the middle at nose tackle. Mm-hmm. Now yeah, we we've got a couple of good ones, but that's not what they do. That's not they're not uh, a guy like uh, Tony Siragusa, right? Right. They're they're not that type of uh, of no stack. stack. They are four three defensive tackles. Yes. yes. Yeah. They're a little bit undersized. You need a, a big heavy space eater, uh, Jordan Davis from uh, Philadelphia yep. from the Eagles. You need a guy like that to truly effectively run a three four defense. I, it just takes me back to the old school Saints with Pat Swilling and Sam Mills and, the, and mm-hmm. those guys. That was the only 3-4 defense that I saw actually work because they had the right people to run that right. uh, system. And in Minnesota, they're just not. Uh, and they're very young. Here's the thing. Here's the problem. They're young and they're old at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've got some really young guys that came in through the draft, guys like uh, – um, you know, obviously, Lewisine, who who got hurt. You still have Cam Bynum on that field, yeah. who who I, did not play well. By the way, he did not do well. The corner position just yep. not worked out. No, like and and they've been struggling to find corners. I mean, if Andrew Booth got hurt, they did they did find a a diamond in the rough in Duke Shelley this year. Which I, yeah. I mean, Duke Shelley was was a, a revelation for them. That was exciting to see a guy that's undrafted going to Chicago gets let go. The Vikings pick mm-hmm. him up and he turns into a star. Duke Shelley's a special player, and I would love for the Vikings to retain him uh, moving into next season. I think he's going to be a, a good young number two corner for a while. Could if he develops a little further, could develop into a number one. Could be an exciting guy. I, if I was the Vikings, I'd be signing Duke Shelley to a five year deal because right now you can get him for cheap. And you, he's had one good year, but you can still get him for a decent number. Uh, Pat P, he's getting old, and he can't do man coverage. We saw that in the Zimmer system. He struggled in, in pass coverage. He was effective. Yeah. See, both Duke Shelley and Pat, Pat P were very good in the 3-4 system, believe it or not. It was Chandon Sullivan who <laughs> really struggled, and it was those linebackers that struggled in coverage. They and linebackers for the Vikings have struggled in coverage for a long time. Yep. the The last time, and and Eric Kendricks for the most part has always been good in coverage, but in the four three he was not. 
Jordan Hicks is not a coverage linebacker. If you look at what he did in Arizona, he was a blitzing linebacker. Um, and and uh, he he sacked the quarterback a lot. He was a blitzing middle linebacker. Yeah. Uh, you know the the Vikings, and then they had Daniel Hunter kicked out to another outside linebacker yeah. position. The Vikings just were not Miscast. equipped. Yeah, they were not equipped to make that transition. And the last time we saw a team do that was the Detroit Lions when Matt Patricia came into town, and it yeah. was a bad transition. Horrible. And and the the Lions wound up transitioning back to the four three, transitioning like that takes time. That's a type of situation where if you have the players, you leave the 4-3 in place. If you don't have the players, or let's say you're going through a rebuild, then it's the time to transition your team to the 3-4. Yeah. If you're going through a complete rebuild. But this Vikings team is doing this competitive rebuild thing. They're not doing going through a complete revamp. No. So you should keep the 4-3 in place. It just made sense. So the Vikings get their guy, Brian Flores. Hey. I'm here for it. I, I you know He was one of my favorite uh, guys going in. Uh, one guy that they didn't get, though, and I he was another one of kind of my favorites when they, they got ready to interview him, was uh, defensive coordinator Ezra Evero. Um, he's hired by the Panthers to be their new defensive coordinator. The Vikings didn't even get a chance to interview him. Um, so these, these kind of go hand in hand, so we're going to talk about this real quick. So the Broncos right now have hired the former Saints head coach, Sean Payton, as their new head coach. They signed him to a five-year deal. Um, they had to trade away the house for him. They traded a first and second round pick to the Saints in exchange for Peyton and a third rounder. Um, so, and then they went on to sign Sean Peyton to a five-year deal. Uh, Peyton was a finalist for the Cardinals job, but uh, reportedly, again, didn't want to coach Kyler Murray. Um, one thing about Sean Peyton, though, is Sean Peyton hates the Minnesota Vikings. We know this. That guy is – I have disdain for Sean Peyton. Sean Peyton has always had it out for the Vikings, I mean, really since 2009. Since the 2017 miracle, though, it's been exacerbated. And then we're talking about, you know, the two years later, the Vikings eliminate him and the Saints from the playoffs and in the first round and the wild card round, which was a beautiful throw by Kirk Cousins at the back of the end zone to Kyle Rudolph. Everybody talks about the push-off. Yes, so what? It didn't happen. But um, at the end of the day, Sean Payton goes out and blocks the Minnesota Vikings from interviewing Ezra Evero, uh, the, the Broncos defensive coordinator, but allows everybody else to interview him. Evero takes the uh, Panthers' defensive coordinator job, so the Vikings missed out on really. Evero runs a fourth or a three-four over there with Denver, so it kind of stunk that that he, you know, Peyton did that. But because it's Sean Peyton and the Vikings, I'm not surprised. I hate Sean Peyton and his butthole-looking mouth. I can't stand the man. I think he's arrogant. Um, and even like it's it, it, when you even watch Sean Peyton as an analyst. Anytime the Vikings would come up, anytime they would talk about the Vikings, he would always just blast the Vikings organization. Every opportunity he had, he was so biased against the Vikings. And here we are once again, Sean Payton trying to screw the Vikings again. Um, I hate Sean Payton. Can't stand him. I think he's probably my least favorite head coach in the league. And, um, yeah, I just think this was an asshole move, but I'm not surprised because Sean Payton is an asshole. He was um, still mad about Stephon Diggs yep. catching, <laughs> yeah, catching that pass to run a 40 yards for a touchdown and knock him right out the playoffs. Yeah, I, it, it, well, 60, Shout out 60 Case yards. Keenum. Yeah, Case Keenum, of all people. <laughs> I mean, So, uh, you know, Ezra Evero, I think, is a great hire for the Panthers. He was very effective in spite of losing a lot of players for the Broncos. Yeah, uh, I think he's a good defensive coordinator selection. The Panthers get their guy. 
Um, and and that's a, a strong, solid pick. Evero was a, a finalist for their head coaching position over there with Denver, so it's a really smart move by them. On the other end, I think Sean Payton, as much as I can't stand him, is a good selection for the Broncos, but he's got his work cut out for him. Coaching Russ Wilson, who has looked like a shell of his former self, um, yeah. he, he just not a fan of, of how Russ Wilson has played over the course of the last year. He's an eggshell of his former self. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think Sean Payton can be successful with Denver? Well, let's let's just start off with this. If I'm if I'm the the uh, Broncos, what are you doing trading away draft capital and draft picks for a coach? for a coach? Yeah. A coach <laughs> who hadn't even been coaching last year, really? Mm-hmm. Okay, so so let so let's break this down. So now the the Broncos who are now in place to have Sean Payton as their head coach in the AFC West. Yep. So now you're asking this guy to repair Russell Wilson, reassemble or assemble a whole new staff. Yep. And try to beat the Chiefs and the Chargers consistently because the Raiders, eh. Yeah. So automatically he's behind the eight ball. Yep. From Jump Street, he's behind the eight ball. He's jumping into a coach, and after sitting back and analyzing for a year or so, however long he was on Fox Sports, or Fox, I don't know how long, but now he steps back into a coaching role, and he's got, I I heard this the other day, uh, he's got the exact same coaching record as Mike McCarthy without having Drew Brees as his quarterback. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so that tells me more about you as a coach and actually tells me more about the quarterback that you had mm-hmm. because Drew Brees Hall of Fame first yep. ballot Hall of Famer he was the straw that stirred the drink absolutely yep. so Sean Payton now is tasked with repairing Russell Wilson assembling a new staff and trying to compete and defeat consistently the Chiefs and the Chargers no thank you yeah I, I think it's a, a bad move on their end Very I, bad. I I think they gave up too much. I think they kind of sold the farm for Sean Payton, and and they did the same thing last year for Nathaniel Hackett. Yeah, and and obviously Nathaniel Hackett was a disaster. Uh, Sean Payton's a good coach. Let, let's be real. I mean, I think he's a very good coach, but is he going to be the guy that that turns everything around? I mean, the Saints have when they parted ways with Sean Payton. I mean, obviously uh, uh, they were kind of downtrodden. They they had you know, Jameis Winston at quarterback, which was blah. Without Drew Brees, the Saints struggled, and I think that's why Sean Payton said, eh, I'm good, and kind of yeah. walked out the door. Yeah. And every year we see the Saints, they're always $100 million over the cap, and they're always trying to make things work and restructure contracts. I mean, they had to come, I think it was $97 million they had to come out of the rafters there to get below the cap. I mean, it was it was a mess. Um, Sean Payton, I think he sort of got tired of, of trying to make it work, and now he's going to be tired of making it work again we're, mm-hmm. we're going to see that that mess go on because the broncos just pissed away their draft picks Ridiculous. so he, he's going to have his work cut out for him over there i don't think and obviously don't forget they gave away bradley chubb i mean yeah. they, they, they moved on from von miller i mean yeah. there's a lot of situations i just i see the broncos floundering with sean payton and and if he turns it around i will be surprised but uh, i mean they're going to have a lot of work cut out for him and then we, uh, along with Sean, well, first of all, we'll talk about, we, we were just talking about Russ Wilson. The Seahawks, though, they made the smart move in moving on from him. And, and real quick about uh, Evero, Idrero Evero. 
mm-hmm. excellent defensive coordinator. Yes. And if I'm Sean Payton, I, I think I texted you this, uh, why did you even let him leave the building? I wouldn't have. Uh, it just keep him whatever, pay him what he wants, keep him. Because yep. that Broncos defense was nasty. And if, and if you got anything you can hang your hat on in Denver, it would have been a defense. Yeah, it was the defense. So. I agree. It was it was a disaster uh, watching Ezra Evero go out the door for the Broncos. But hey, I mean, if they're gonna they're gonna piss him away, that's what they're doing. They're pissing him away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. um, but uh, when it comes to Russ Wilson, his former team, the the Seahawks, QB Geno Smith says he's feeling very confident that he'll return to the Seahawks on a new deal. He won Comeback Player of the Year this year. Uh, what do you think of Geno Smith here? I, you know, I thought he wasn't bad, but I don't think he's a franchise quarterback for the Seahawks by any stretch of the imagination. I think he kind of fills the role, but he's very Tyrod Taylorish to me, if that makes sense. He's that yeah. guy that, he's a transition quarterback, he's that guy you're going to trot out there, give him a two-year deal, put him out there, find your quarterback of the future in the draft, line him up behind him, and say, alright, learn from Geno, and then we're going to send the quarterback of the future in there. Geno Smith is a professional quarterback. Yep. That I mean, you get you you get what you see, you see what you get, and you're not going to get much more. Right, right. He's. I thought he was. He wasn't as bad as people said he was. He he showed me something. He surprised he, us. He surprised yeah. me a little bit this past season. I got to give it up to him. But when it came to crunch time, yeah. When it came to the playoffs, when it came to nut cutting time, as Cornette would say, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look at what happened when when they needed him. You know, in in this game, you need your quarterback. When it comes yep. time for the playoffs, you need your quarterback. Yes. And this is what separates the good from the, the great. great. Yep, that's it. I you agree. Know? So he's a good quarterback, good professional NFL quarterback, a bridge guy, a carpenter, a mid-carter. Yes, if you will. That, that's what he is. He He's the kind of guy, I you know, and, and he's sort of, I'm not, I, I kind of want to talk about him as like an Alex Smith almost. But, yeah. but, but he's not an Alex Smith, because Alex Smith, I think, was a far better quarterback than Geno Smith is. Um, but but it, it's kind of the, the in the transition uh, yes. of the word, I would say. Yeah. You, you have a guy that you, I don't think we believed, I didn't believe, that Alex Smith was going to take the Kansas City Chiefs as good as that team was. I didn't think Alex Smith was going to take them to a Super Bowl. Right. I didn't think that Alex Smith was going to take the San Francisco 49ers to a Super Bowl under Harbaugh. Okay, but what one thing I did believe is that I, I, I thought Alex Smith was is still a very good quarterback, uh, and I thought he was better. I, I do think he's better than Geno Smith. Geno Smith still, like I said, I Tyrod Taylor kind of make it. That's the comparison that keeps coming up to me. Yeah, because I I really believe that that he's like a low end starter. He and yes. that's what he is. He's a low end starter that you can help transition a guy in, yeah. and that's kind of what Tyrod Taylor did for Justin Herbert. And that's kind of where we're leaning as far as Geno Smith goes. I really believe if the Seahawks go out and find a guy, a Hendon Hooker, for example, and they can transition Hendon Hooker into that Geno Smith role. Or um, if, they're, if they draft high enough, they can go out and, you know, if they trade up, go get C.J. Stroud. I mean, C.J. Stroud would be an excellent fit in that situation. Um, that would be beautiful for them. But I just don't see Geno Smith as a as a franchise guy in a way. I really don't. No, he, he he's not. No, it, it's you know just the way it is. He's he's got talent. He can run a little bit. He he makes some good throws, but it, in key moments, 
when you have to make the key throw. Yep. He doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. Yep, exactly. It's just the way it is. Uh, at, at the quarterback position, I need three things from you. Number one, be a leader. Yep. Number two, throw touchdowns. Yep. And number three, don't turn the ball over. Bingo. And I believe Alex Smith, as we were just talking, mm-hmm. he checks two of those three boxes. He didn't throw a ton of touchdowns. No. But he was a leader. And he did not turn the ball over. Yep. Very good game managing quarterback. Yes. Yep. And that and that's and one you can thing. win a lot of games with guys like that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So we, we get to see that go on. Obviously the Seahawks and, and the Saints, as far as Sean Payton's former team, the Saints started making some moves. Uh first of all, they so the Saints obviously they lost one of their defensive coordinators as a head to a head coaching position over there with the, the Carolina Panthers. Uh, or I'm sorry, actually, I'm sorry, with the uh, Atlanta Falcons. He moves on to the Falcons. Great. Um, but one thing that, that kind of drew my ire is this move. The Saints part ways with their co-defensive coordinator and secondary coach, Chris Richard. The Saints defense ranked second versus the pass in 22 and 23. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me that they moved on from Chris Richard he was the better of the two. And then what they do, instead of maintaining Chris Richard, they go out and they hire former Browns defensive coordinator Joe Woods, who was recently fired by the Browns. They hire him as their new defensive coordinator. It doesn't make sense. The Browns couldn't stop anybody on the ground. Yeah. So why would you why would you want to hire a guy who couldn't stop people, who couldn't stop the run? With all those guys With that they had on that front of line. That talent that they got, the Miles Garrett and, and, and such. Yeah, and 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 this is the guy you bring in. So let's let's think about those Saints. Jadavion Clowney over there with the yeah. Browns. I mean, yeah. you had you had key yeah. cogs there. Yeah, and couldn't stop the run. Now we're talking about the same team in the New Orleans Saints who shipped Chauncey Gardner Johnson out the door, and guess where Chauncey Gardner Johnson is? He's in the Super Bowl. Oh, <laughs> in the Super Bowl, and and I also want to point out, you ship Chauncey Gardner Johnson out the door. He's playing for a Super Bowl team in the Philadelphia Eagles. What position does he play? Corner. Slot corner. And who'd you just get rid of that developed Chauncey Gardner-Johnson over there with the New Orleans Saints? Your secondary coach. I mean, it just oh, doesn't there you go. It doesn't make sense. No. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson had a career year this year. Yeah. I mean, it, like, yeah. It, and a lot of that comes from the coaching that he received with the New Orleans Saints and the yeah. secondary coach. It doesn't make sense. It's silly. Silly bullshit. Uh, I, I, you know, it, it really, it's really it's silly bullshit. I, I don't understand yeah. what in the hell they're thinking over well, there. Well, I, I guess they, they'll, they'll be glad that they got a whole bunch of uh, draft picks back. I guess. From, uh, Sean Payton. Yeah, I guess. I, golly, what a mess. Just do well, something with them. Yeah, what a disaster that turned out to be. They better do something because, Christ almighty. Um, elsewhere around that division, the Falcons owner, Arthur Blank, feels they have a good leader in Desmond Ritter. They believe he's the guy over there. I don't think he's the guy over there with them. Do you? I like I like the way that Desmond Ritter plays. He's a gamer, right? He he makes he makes good plays when called upon. Yeah. They, they the national championship uh, game against uh, Alabama. Uh, well, notwithstanding. <laughs> yeah. You know he's still. He led that Cincinnati team to a lot of wins over the course of his career. Uh, he's not overly dynamic. Mm-hmm. He's he he needs some work on uh, just completing routine passes. Yes, I mean it, it. It was almost laughable towards the end of the season. I I had some faith in him, but 
he's he wasn't ready for that spot, but they had Marcus Mariota and they had to do something. Yeah. Right. They would have preferred, I believe, to have had Ritter sit the entire season mm-hmm. and not have to put him in there. But Mariota was just so bad towards the end of it that we ended up seeing uh, Ritter. I think he'll be fine. And under the Arthur Smith uh, coaching system, I think he'll be he'll be a little better than a bridge game managing quarterback. And they're going to need something else to to get over the hump. Yeah, they're going to need to get themselves a better quarterback coach over there, I think, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. I, I really do think Arthur Smith, I've talked at length about how Arthur Smith, I don't feel that he's a very good coach. Um, I think he was a very good offensive line coach. I think he's a good run game coordinator. Very good run game coordinator. But the problem I have with Arthur Smith is it seems to me that Arthur Smith doesn't know what in the hell to do with number one receivers. And he doesn't know what to do with with quarterbacks. And he doesn't know how to execute a passing game. And that's the problem they had in Atlanta all year long. Kyle Pitts was a non-factor. Yeah. You know, when when Calvin Ridley was on the field, when Arthur Smith took over the gig last year, Calvin Ridley was a non-factor. You know, these these are the problems that you... Because Calvin Ridley was... Putting too much money on the, <laughs> putting on the, too much money on the games, yeah, yeah. But but we talk about this and we're like, what in the hell are we doing here? Because Calvin Ridley was a non-factor. They 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 would. It was rare that he would be in the end zone. I mean, we saw Calvin Ridley go from all pro to nothing. I mean, and that's that's a problem uh, with when it comes to the NFL uh, or the uh, um, uh, Arthur Smith system. That's a problem. You cannot take a guy the caliber of Calvin Ridley and not utilize him. You can't. Same with Kyle Pitts. He's an all-pro tight end. Why are you? He's, he had 800-plus yards last year. What happened? Where was Kyle Pitts in all this? I mean, Desmond Ritter needs to be utilizing Kyle Pitts as his safety valve. He's a young quarterback. He's a rookie. Now he's going to be going into his sophomore year. I mean, there's a lot of lot of questions there. So the uh, um, And the same thing happened in Tennessee, right? The, mm-hmm. the pass game just was non-existent in Tennessee when Arthur Smith was the offensive coordinator. They had an excellent run game, but part of that, a big part of that was Derrick Henry. Yeah. But as but yeah. And and I think Tennessee, speaking of Tennessee, they're going in the complete wrong direction. Woo. The Titans go and elevate their passing game coordinator of all pl- of all oh. guys. <laughs> Tim Kelly as their new offensive coordinator. And the Titans offensive tackle Taylor Luan says he he's going to be cut in the coming weeks and will contemplate retirement. What in the hell are we doing in Tennessee? First of all, the Titans' passing game was abysmal this year. Uh, it was terrible. Uh, and now they're going to lose their one of their best offensive tackles. They're going to let him go, which make, doesn't make sense at all. I love Taylor Luan. And, and the Titans, they elevate the guy who executed the worst part of their offense as their new offensive coordinator. And to use the Alex line, what the fuck are we doing here? (laughs) It doesn't make sense. I think uh, Mike Vrabel might not have been involved in that decision. Or maybe maybe he was. We'll never know. They are a run-first team. Mm -hmm. That's how they're built, and that's how Vrabel likes to coach. That's how they like to play. And uh, well, let's let's just say this about Taylor Lewan. Taylor Lewan is is a big, nasty, beat you up tackle. Mm-hmm. And man, injuries have just derailed his career yeah, lately. I agree. I, I, I feel bad for him in in that aspect. But he was the 
per, he's the perfect guy that you want on the offensive line if you want to run the football. Absolutely. Because he brought that nasty kick you in the face, punch you in the mouth attitude when it came time to run in the football. So that, that'll be a big loss for them. But an even greater loss will be for the offense as Tim Kelly gets that offensive coordinator position. Yep. That'll be a terrible loss for their offense. <laughs> so him, him getting that position is Bru- silly. Yeah. It's silly. It doesn't yeah. make sense. You you had Traylon Burks, who is supposed to be your number one overall guy, uh, your first-round pick. He was a disaster. You couldn't get him going, and, and you're going to take the guy that couldn't get your, your first-rounder. And frankly, I didn't think Traylon Burks is going to be a number one guy anyway, a first-rounder. I don't think he's worth a hell. I, I thought that A.J. Brown trade, I said, okay, they're going to go get somebody good, and then they went and got Burks, and it made they no sense to me. basically went and got A.J. Brown, but a worse version. Yeah. I mean, A.J. Brown uh, was a good receiver for them. I don't think Burks is even A.J. Brown. I think he's a... a I, I mean, you might as well just call him Laquan Treadwell at this point. Ooh, I mean, yeah, I, ooh, I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I can see that. Yeah, Traylon Burks, Traylon Bust is what yeah. we're. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. What he's leaning toward. He's not. Yeah. But I, I just, I, I don't, I don't buy what the Titans are doing right now. They need, they desperately need a number one receiver, which they don't have. They do not have a number one receiver there in Tennessee, mm-hmm. um, and Burks is not it. So who's your number one? I mean, we don't know. No. Nobody knows. No. And you know what else they really need in Tennessee? Is a quarterback. Yeah. Need need to get Ryan Tannehill out of there. And and you know, Ryan Tannehill, you know, I and and for years we you know, prior shows and, and obviously you weren't here for that. Tyler loved Ryan Tannehill. You know, mm-hmm. Tyler was a big fan of Ryan Tannehill and mm-hmm. uh said that that he was uh, in fact so he won't admit it. <laughs> but uh-huh. But the word elite exited his mouth at oh one point God. in years prior. Oh. And, and he won't admit it, and that's okay. But the word elite did come out of his mouth, um, uh, whether it be on a phone conversation. I don't think it was on the show, but it was probably in a phone conversation. Should have recorded that. <laughs> but but at, at a certain point, I, I just I don't think Ryan Tannehill is a special quarterback. Um, no, he's, he's bottom of the uh, – Ryan Tannehill is a base model quarterback. Yeah. Right? There, the the windows. There's no automatic windows. You gotta roll them down manually, right? The radio station mm-hmm. only gets five channels. <laughs> it's a slide on the on the heat and cool. Oh, one right? yeah. of those. Just, yeah, yeah. Base model quarterback. Yeah, and you need better. And they don't have any Malik Willis. No, either. No, so, Malik Willis. I I thought he was a bad pick and and never come out. No, no. I don't think Malik Willis. I and you know I. I didn't think Malik Willis was going to be a great quarterback in this league. I didn't think he was going to be anything special. Well, he's not ready. And, and he wasn't ready. He no. wasn't ready. But no. uh, my, my big thing about Malik Willis is the hype train on him was, was you know, everybody it, was going wild about it was, him. It was unwarranted. When, he, when Malik Willis had the opportunity to show the world, it was a Thursday night against Syracuse, he came up empty. Yes. And that, to me, showed he wasn't ready. Yeah, because if you're if you're a big time NFL talent, you beat that team. He he had some some nice plays in that game, but you beat that since that Syracuse team. If you if you're a big time talent, I agree. I agree one hundred percent. I and and I you know I think people got excited about his arm strength and his cannon and whatever else. But the thing is, I don't think Malik Willis. He's still not ready. No. He's been in the league and and he's not ready. We got to see it. I mean. And the Titans know that he's not ready because the number of times that they they leaned on Derrick Henry mm-hmm. to to do things when Malik Willis came in, they mm-hmm. leaned on Derrick Henry to beat the Texans and slap them around a little bit. They they really yeah they know and and teams knew 
after seeing that game, if Malik Willis is in there, you force yeah. him to throw the ball. Brother, yeah. it, Malik Willis' playbook was like two pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he wasn't ready. Uh, ready. Coming out of Liberty, he wasn't ready. I knew, and that was another thing. He played at Liberty. Yeah. You know, and I know there are, are exceptions to the rule, folks. Mm -hmm. But when I see a guy coming out of Liberty and people are like, oh, getting hype about him, there are, there are very few exceptions to those rules. Very few. That's There's why very call few them exceptions. You know, and, and we see, you know, like Khalil Mack, for example, was an exception to the rule. Buffalo. Yep, but and he played for a nobody team, but he was a great player. But then we see guys like, and, and this one's one of my favorites, everybody hyped him up because he had 100 tackles, Jelani Tavai. But, you know, everybody made a big mm -hmm. jo a big big rule. You know, oh, Jelani Tavai. He and I'm like, he played for Hawaii. Yeah. You know, like, give me a break. Come You're on, gonna have to tackle in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred. He had over a hundred tackles. So what? You know, same with uh, yeah, and, thirty yards down the field. Yeah, or or, <laughs> or they they talked about you know another guy, Lakin Tomlinson was a big one, and and Lakin Tomlinson has gone on to develop and have himself a very good career with the San Francisco 49ers. I think yeah. he fits that scheme. But when he first came out and Detroit drafted him, everybody got big on the, the hype train about, about Lakin Tomlinson. And, and a lot of people didn't realize that when it came to Lakin Tomlinson, he didn't face anybody. They said, oh, he never gave up a sack in college. He didn't face anybody good. His no. big matchup was Boise State. I mean, like, he didn't face elite talent at all, ever. He played for, what, Duke? Yeah, Duke, and it wasn't. And, and Clemson w did not have the the defense when he when Tomlinson was playing, Clemson didn't have the defense that they have, that they had after right. uh, Tomlinson so, was gone. So we see those types of players, and we see the and, and I see guys, and sometimes the school does matter, folks. Sometimes it matters whether whether or not anybody wants to believe it or understand it or agree with the school matters, and and that's just the reality of the matter. But at the end of the day, um, you know uh, the the. Titans are going to have some trouble coming around the corner. Um, and they, they just gave up the division to the Jags, mind you, and that they had, well, everybody seemingly thought they had locked up. It was, it was hey, win or go home scenario, and the Jaguars beat them. Yep. And then on top of it around that division, the Colts owner, Jim Ursay says that the final decision on the Colts head coaching position should come in the next coming few days. Um, probably right after the Super Bowl, we're going to see the Colts make their hire. I have a feeling... Somebody from one of these two staffs is being looked at. They're they're being glared at, and and uh, it could be Eric Bieniemy in this situation. We don't know, mm -hmm. but uh, Bieniemy has has reportedly been in contact with the Baltimore Ravens. So you could see Eric Bieniemy go to the Ravens as our offensive coordinator. Who knows? I like Eric Bieniemy a lot. I love Eric Bieniemy. I don't see him going to Baltimore because the type of quarterback that Lamar Jackson is. I don't. I don't think that. The enemy's offense would be able to accommodate that. I, he's a very creative play caller, but I just don't see I don't see him there. I see I see him the enemy that is clearer. I see at the uh, with the Indianapolis with Colts the, with, yeah. with the Colts. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think you know if he goes to the Colts and and winds up taking the head coaching job over there and getting a head coaching job, I think that could be something uh, really special, especially because the Colts are looking to get their quarterback of the future. Um, and, and they, they're kind of on their way here. So, I mean, yeah. we, we could see the Colts make a move. I believe they're picking in the top 10. If one of those top three quarterbacks falls to him or even Tanner McKee for that matter, I think you could have a, a, a strong quarterback situation over there with a good offense with the Colts with Jonathan Taylor. 
They have weapons. They need a, they a quarterback, and they need a true wide receiver, too. And I think we're talking about a, a whole different team there. Yeah, and they got a really good secondary in uh, mm-hmm. Indianapolis. Yeah, they have a good defense as well. Yeah. Um, elsewhere around the league, uh, when it comes to Ron Rivera and company, uh, Ron Rivera says that Sam Howell is gonna, likely going to begin the offseason as the team's top option. Um, he also says that the team is non-committal about picking up defensive end Chase Young's first-year option. Young, obviously, coming off of an injury this year, he's had a little injury bug in his first uh, in his first contract here. You know what? If you're not going to pick up his fifth-year option, I, I, okay. What are you doing? Yeah, I, <laughs> it doesn't okay. make sense. Um, I understand the injuries. I get it. But Chase Young is a game-changing player. He is. He's only been in the league, what, three years? Three years, yep. Three years, and, and you don't want to pick up a, uh, You don't want to pick up his fifth-year option? I don't know. You it, might want to You might want to rethink that one, Riverboat. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And Sam Howell, um, kind of an interesting one. I was big on Sam Howell when he came out in the draft. If Sam Howell went a year prior, he was likely going to be one of the top quarterbacks in the draft. He's a top-ten quarterback. But he decided to wait around, and all of his buddies from North Carolina went to the draft, and he was the last man standing over there in North Carolina with the Tar Heels and yeah. and, and inevitably got slapped around a little bit. Do you think Sam Howell could be the answer for the uh, Washington Commanders, or do you think that's uh, up in the air? Uh, I'm going to tentatively say no. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing. Sam Howell, in NFL terms, he's short. Yep. Right, he's got a. Uh, this is gonna sound, I don't sound bad to some folks. He's got a thickly built lower half, <laughs> <laughs> but that makes him strong. At, it, makes, it makes him hard to bring down on a sack, but it also gives him power when he's trying to run through arm tackles. It's hard. It, it's hard to just bring him down. He is strong. Yep, and he and he and he can run. He was an effective runner with with North Carolina, but here's the thing. Mm-hmm. As Greg Cosell puts it, he's a six-foot pocket quarterback without elite-level Drew Brees-type traits. Yes. Right? When you're talking about a six-foot pocket quarterback, you need guys like Drew Brees. Yep. And, and I'm going to say this name. We'll talk about it again, again later. Bryce Young, that's the guy that's six-foot and that's a pocket quarterback but makes excellent decisions with the football. Mm. Sam Howell did not do that consistently. And when he did lose Deami Brown, and when he did lose uh, uh, the running backs uh, out of North Carolina, the name is, is escapes yeah. me right now. When he when he lost those offensive weapons, he lost some of his game. And when the quarterback loses those weapons, and then the quarterback takes a step back, that tells me that it's more about the quarterback and not who the receivers are. Right. Uh, one guy that did benefit from him uh, coming out of the field, and, and I was always big on him, and I thought he was an excellent draft pick, was Jahan Dotson. Um, yes. he, he benefited from Sam Howell coming out of the field, and uh, I think Terry McLaurin actually did as well. So, I, And I personally, I think Jahan Dotson is better than Curtis Samuel over there in, oh, in, yeah. in Washington. I, I like Jahan Dotson a lot. So, you know, depends on, on how things go. I want to see how Howell develops. I like Sam Howell. I want to see, you know, he's it's going to take time, though. Yeah, is the only the problem is he's in the wrong division. Yes, and yeah, a tough, very tough division. Very, very tough division. Yes, yeah, he he's going to be uh, have his work cut out for him. Speaking of elsewhere around that division, the Cowboys. Um, 
So obviously we talked about them moving on from Kellen Moore as their offensive coordinator. Um, and the Cowboys go out and they name Brian Schottenheimer as their new offensive coordinator. I don't know what in the hell they're thinking with this move. I don't like that at all. Ugh. <laughs> it's like putting, I said it earlier, it's like putting a, a turtleneck and a sweater on. It just, it doesn't look good, it doesn't feel good, and it won't be good. No, it's not going to be good. I don't, I don't like it at all. Um, the Chargers, in the meantime, they go out and they hire Kellen Moore as their new offensive coordinator. I love this. I think I, I think Justin Herbert is going to benefit in a big way from a guy that knows how to use big-bodied, big-arm quarterbacks. Uh, Justin Herbert's a special player. Kellen Moore just—I mean—it's like hitting the lottery for him, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a—it's a very—it's a similar situation as, as, in Dallas in regards to the receivers. Yes, right, because you've got better receivers in Keenan Allen. And uh, Mike Williams, Mike Williams yep. right? And you've got Austin Eckler at the at the uh, running back position, can be utilized the same way that he was utilizing uh, Tony Pollard, right? Yes. Only thing Austin Eckler is missing is another running back to really take some of that stress off him because they just have had no luck in yeah. the running back position, <laughs> and they also need to get a little bit better on the offensive line, mm -hmm. be able to push some people around so you actually can run the football like the Cowboys were able to run the football when they needed to. Yep, a guy that that has been effective for them is Rashawn Slater. Yes, last year he's been he's been uh, uh, he was actually on our rookie rankings last year. He was number three. So mm -hmm. he was he was right up there. Mm -hmm. uh, he turned out to be a, a really special offensive tackle for Very them. Good. And they got another one in Northwestern. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Skron, uh, Skron, Skronarski. Skronarski. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's yes. he's going to be something special. I know we're going to be talking about offensive linemen next show uh, when we start talking about a draft. We do have draft stuff that we're going to go over here soon. Um, elsewhere around the league, for and speaking of quarterback development, Panthers hire NFL quarterback Josh McCown as their QB coach, you know, those who can't teach, right? And and I never thought much of Josh McCown. I know he, he had some excitement go on in his life when he went to the Bears, and the Bears, he was, you know, getting them wins out of nowhere, and it was it was a strange circumstance, a very strange situation. Josh McCown's over here winning football games to the Bears, and yeah. I think he took him to like an 8-8 eight and eight season, and he, I mean, McCown's been everywhere. He's been, he's like Josh Johnson. He's been, he's yeah. played all over the league. I've been journeyman, everywhere, man. Yeah, <laughs> he's a, he's a journeyman. <laughs> he, we know he's been a journeyman. Um, he's played for for the Rams. He's played for uh, uh, the Texans. He's played for the Jets. He's played for the Bears. He, I mean, he's been he all got a over. Phone call. He was coaching high school. He got a phone call. Hey, we need you. <laughs> yeah, and and he literally went and and played quarterback yep. in the NFL like two days later. <laughs> it's crazy. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think uh, Josh McCown is, is an interesting guy. I don't know if he's, you know, sometimes Kellen Moore, for example, we just got done talking about him. He's the kind of guy, he was a third-string quarterback for the Lions, went over to Dallas, became a third-string quarterback for Dallas, and then he became a coach. Josh McCown could, and he's an older guy, McCown is. He's yep. about 39, I think now. I think he's well on his way, or 39 or 40. He's he's well on his way to, out the door anyway. Do you think he's going to be an effective quarterback coach? I, I mean, he could be, right? He, he definitely could be. Yep. I mean, you know, guys who played can teach, yep. and he, he was he himself <coughs> was a good quarterback. Right. You know, in and of himself. He You know, he, he wasn't going to win you a whole bunch of games. No. But he wasn't going to be the reason why you lost a whole bunch of games. <laughs> exactly. Either, right? So those kind of guys 
they are they are actually pretty good and and adept at teaching yeah. and being able to uh, get the message across a little bit better because they play the game. They know what to look for. They know how to look for it, and they can, you know, pass that information along. Right. Um, and next up, you know, uh, speaking of his former teams, uh, the Rams hire former Jets Mike, uh, offensive coordinator Mike LaFleur as their uh, offensive coordinator. Uh, he says he can't wait to start building a relationship with Matt Stafford. I still stand by the fact that I believe Matt Stafford needs Tommy John surgery, but hey, I digress. You know, a lot of people don't think it. I mean, but anytime you're getting injections in your injured elbow, I'm over here going, mm, that sounds like a UCL, and that sounds like you're going to need Tommy John but hey, yeah, you know well, what the hell do I know? I'm not a doctor. But <laughs> we just play one on TV. Yeah, exactly. So um, Lafleur going over to uh, the Rams, uh, the the brother of of uh, my, Matt Lafleur there, um, Michael Lafleur. I, I think he wanted out of the Jet situation. He doesn't like Zach Wilson. Who would want to coach? Who does? Him? Yeah, who would want to coach him anyway? But. Uh, Going over to the Rams, I think this is a good situation. Sean McVay obviously had no idea what the hell to do without Kevin O'Connell on this staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you make of this? How bad does it have to be for you to have to leave, want to leave the New York Jets to go to the L.A. Rams? Who played horrible this year. Who played horrible. You had, you had to leave the entire coast. You had to go coast to coast to get away from Zach Wilson. Yep. No, I... I think what you're going to get, you're going to get at least a, a strong foundation of a run game mm-hmm. in in L.A., and that's exactly what Stafford needs. He definitely needs a run game. He also needs that surgery, the uh, Tommy John, yeah. and he probably needs to go ahead and hang him up because <clears throat> the way that Stafford throws the football, all sorts of off-platform throws, that was a key component of what he was able to do because he's got the arm to make yep. every single throw on the field. All those sidearms and All whatnot. the sidearm throws that we saw in Detroit for a decade, that's gone. Yep. Right? That's bye-bye. That, <laughs> so I think that Stafford, especially with the neck issue and this and that, I think he might be better served going ahead and uh, – and, uh, He's made you know, his money. You know, he's made his money. Yeah. Right? I don't have access to his, you know, tax returns, but I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's made enough money to be able to go ahead and say, hey, thank you, Detroit. Thank you, L.A. We got one done. Yep. Go home, man. Yeah. <laughs> but no, the, uh, but the floor will bring a definitely uh, a, a different look, but it'll, it'll definitely bring a run game. Yeah, and, and I think the one thing that was missing from that New York Jets offense was a quarterback, obviously, and, and when guys that were effective at the quarterback position, i.e. Joe Flacco, i.e. Mike White, when yeah. they came into the yeah. game, they were effective because they knew how to effectively throw the ball. Zach Wilson was not capable, and mm-hmm. and um, White, and, and I'm not going to sit here and act like Mike White is some type of, type of world beater, because he's right. not. He's not. Uh, but if the Jets were to go out and find themselves a quarterback of the future, and I think they can in this draft in particular, you know, we could be talking about a whole different Jets team. And, uh, you know, Joe Flacco, I don't think he's the answer. I don't think Mike White's the answer. I think Joe Flacco's best days are obviously behind him. Obviously, yeah. But, you know, they have good receivers over there. They have an excellent running back over there that surprised a lot of people if he can stay healthy in Brees Hall. I mean, they have Garrett Wilson, they have Elijah Moore. I mean, they have a good team over there, good, strong team. They probably need a tight end one over there. I don't think Tyler Conklin is the guy. But it, either way, yeah, this Jets team, you know, they, they were good. So now we got him coming over to the Rams where they do have a good quarterback. I think Matt Stafford is a good quarterback, albeit with a lot of injury issues that we they need to address. 
but they have Cooper Cup. They, they you know, they they have players that they can roll with. They they still technically have Cam Akers under contract, right? Yeah. I mean, they they haven't dumped him yet. Who knows what the hell they're going to do with him? And he's played very well lately. Yep. So there's questions. I think Cam Akers has been a little streaky, to be honest with you. But I think also a lot of that has to do with the fact that that uh, McVay doesn't completely understand um, player mentality. And I think mm-hmm. McVay expected a little more out of Cam Akers than Cam Akers. He expected other things out of Cam Akers that Cam Akers wasn't made for. Cam yeah. Akers is made to be a, a, a fast running back. He is made to be a... a uh, uh, give me the ball kind of guy. He's not the guy that's going to stand back there and be effective in pass protection. And, oh no, <laughs> that's what's one of the knocks on him coming out. Yeah. So I mean, can't you know? I, I think this is a good spot for Lafleur, and for his brother Matt. He's got all kinds of issues going on with the Packers. Uh, quarterback Aaron Rodgers says he's set to undergo a four-day quote-unquote darkness retreat in order to discover and contemplate his NFL future. Um, He's going to spend four days and four nights in complete and absolute darkness, just to think. Um, this is kind of on par with the uh, the ayahuasca trip from last year that he had, where he was he was hallucinating on ayahuasca. I think a lot of this has to do with his crazy hippie girlfriend, to be honest with you, or fiance, or whatever the hell she is. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> it's ironic that. Uh, Rodgers is going to be in the dark when last offseason he left the Packers in the, in the dark. dark. Yes, that's exactly it. Very ironic. I think the Packers are kind of an interesting impasse here. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, obviously, they, they're looking to pro- possibly unload his $50 million deal, but no teams are going to truly bite on it until they know that Aaron Rodgers is going to be back. The, the Packers are, are a shady organization, and I'm not just saying that as a Vikings fan. We remember in the past the Packers did shady things with Brett Favre. They welcomed him back. They said, oh, Brett, come back and play for us. We really want you to play for us. And then Brett Favre came back, and they were just doing that so they could use him as trade bait to the New York Jets. You know, we, we and, and you remember that. Favre came back. He, he said, oh, okay, I'll come back and play for the Packers. We're going for a Super Bowl. And boom, a week later he was a Jet. So <laughs> yeah. they, mm-hmm. they, they burned him. And I think Aaron Rodgers is kind of on the same mindset. Obviously, the Packers have said the only way that they're going to deal Aaron Rodgers if it's to, is if it's to an AFC team. Exactly. There's rumors of Vegas possibly being in Aaron Rodgers' future if he does come back and get dealt. The Jets have also been been floated out there. You know, Aaron Rodgers is a good player. Obviously, he's he had a down year this past year. I think the Packers in general had a lot of issues. Um, the organization, yeah, the organization has always had the pissing match with Rodgers, and and he's a star. We know he's a star, but a little diva in him. Yeah, he's a diva, but you know he is a star. And at the end of the day, Aaron Rodgers, uh, I don't know that he wants to be dealt. If I'm being honest, but at the same time, if he does get dealt, I think the Raiders are probably the best spot for him, given the Devontae Adams, you know, stuff, and given the fact that he. Uh, He'll be playing with a, a head coach that coached Tom Brady. I mean, and I'm not a big fan of, of Mike McDaniels over there, I'm, I, or Josh McDaniels, rather. I'm not a huge fan of him. But I think that it, he might be able to deal with Rodgers as a big-time veteran quarterback like he did with Tom Brady. I think that might work out for him, right? As, look, the uh, the system that Josh McDaniels likes to run over there in, in, in Vegas it's predicated on accuracy. Yes. And 
if there's been a quarterback who's been more accurate than Aaron Rodgers over the last 10 years, his name is Tom Brady. Yeah. Right? Probably in, in that conversation. We'll talk about Mahomes the second also in that. But here's the thing. Aaron Rodgers would be going to a, a favorable situation, much like Tom Brady when, yep. when, uh, when Brady went to the Bucks. It's an indoor team, a dome mm-hmm. team. He'll be playing with someone he's familiar with, and we all know the familiarity and, com- and chemistry that Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams had yes. and, and, and maybe still can have. Um, the only issue is that offensive line of the Oakland, uh, of, of the Raiders. Just, yep. you know, you don't want to be an older quarterback and have to have questions about the offensive line. Yeah, one thing about Aaron Rodgers, so I like the idea that Aaron Rodgers is able to extend plays. He He's always really good about getting outside the pocket and kind of recognizing pressure. One thing about Aaron Rodgers, though, um, or one thing about the Raiders, though, is that the offensive line. What and, yeah. and, and when it comes to that offensive line, last year, for example, they had one of the best offensive lines in football. And then this year, in this offseason, they went and dealt a bunch of those guys yeah. and wound up with yeah. one of the worst offensive lines in football. Yeah. Um, and, and it affected, affected Derek Carr, and obviously Derek yeah. Carr threw a lot of picks. He led the team, or almost led the league in interceptions for a while he was, and then it became Dak Prescott. Uh, Derek Carr, uh, by the way, the Raiders have given Derek Carr permission to speak with other specific teams, but there's no trade that's imminent. He has visited with the Saints. Um, well, Carr's got that trade clause where he can be... He, where he can basically choose his own adventure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you know the the Raiders are, I think they're looking to offload an awfully big contract because they get, did give him a big deal. And if they can offload Carr, which I think they can, there's a, a positive situation. And you know, say Derek Carr goes to the Jets. I don't know that that's a bad idea. I don't know that that's a bad spot for him. Derek Carr is still a starting quarterback. Uh, he had a very bad year this year, but last year was tremendous. So who knows yeah. what's going to happen with Derek Carr? But it's a, kind of a "what have you done for me lately" situation. Yeah. But Aaron, if they make that room, it they'll have room for Aaron Rodgers, which is good. Uh, and and I do think he'll be successful with the the Raiders, like you said, indoor stadium. You know, positive situation. I, I'm I'm here for it. Uh, and and we just got done talking about Tom Brady. Buddy, let's talk about it. Former Patriots and Bucks quarterback Tom Brady officially retires. The GOAT goes home. Uh, he officially will start with Fox Sports in 2024 on a 10-year, $375 million deal yeah. as an analyst. Um, you know, and, and on top of it, you know, Tom Brady, he's going to sign a one-day one day contract with the Patriots. He's going to officially retire a Patriot. Oh. Um, a lot of folks were saying, oh, he's going to come out of, out of the woodwork. He's going to come out of retirement. Nope, he has officially submitted a letter to the NFLPA saying, I am done. I'm going home. I am retired. Uh, what do you make of, of Tom Brady's stuff? I think that is a gross overpayment, 37, uh, $37.5 million per year to be an analyst. Um, with Fox Sports, you know, and and I want to point out, people are giving Tony Romo a bad rap. I like Tony Romo. (laughs) I do. I like Tony Romo. And the reason I like Tony Romo is he calls out plays before they happen. (laughs) And he's good about it. And you see, it's like, oh, I see this happening. And I'm like, oh, that play just happened. And he just called that shit. Oh, my God. Like, he realizes what's going on. It, you know, a lot of people like Romo. Some people don't. I'm a, I'm a pro Tony Romo type of guy. Uh, even though we get a lot of <laughs> stuff going on, right? But um, Tom Brady coming in, I don't know that he's going to wind up being a good analyst. He's going to have to be a lot more animated than he is on a on a regular basis 
Um, he's not as animated as Gronk, but I feel like he is a little more um, well-spoken in he these is. situations. But he's going to have to be a little more entertaining. He can't be uh, the same old, you know, monotonous Tom Brady here. If, really, you know who, would, who the type of Tom Brady that would be great on these shows is is post-Super Bowl victory, drunk Tom Brady throwing Super Bowl trophies yeah. over rivers. I yeah. mean, that that's the kind of guy you're going to want on your we, TV station. If we can get him to do a few shots before every, <laughs> before every game, he might be all right. Yeah. Tom Brady is as dry as non-sugared oatmeal on toast. <laughs> Non-buttered toast. Oh, He's, he, he is just that dry. There's nothing there that would indicate that he would be an excellent or even a good uh, color commentator. I, I look at Tony Romo, and I see he's, he does call out some good plays, and he does have the whole, you know, thing going. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's – but Greg Olson is better. Oh, I love Greg Olson. Than Tony Romo. Yeah. Right? He gives you insight. But he, but it's not dry. It's informative, but it's also, in a in a way, in its own way, entertaining. Yes, right. He, so I don't even know if Brady would be even good at it. And to guarantee this guy, yeah, three hundred million dollars, bruh, brother, how? Uh, yep. How? Why would he's making more money as an analyst than he did in the NFL? <laughs> See? <laughs> See? It's just silly. Ridiculous. I guess he... I, need, I don't want to talk about his personal. Let's just yep, yep. Let's leave that alone. Because I was just where he where some of that money is probably going to go. Yeah, yeah. But we'll just leave that alone. Yeah, she took some very classy uh, classy pictures the other day, by the way. Uh-oh. Uh, Giselle did. But we'll, we'll, we'll get away from that. But anyway. <laughs> and last but not least, tough around the league, uh, Bengals running back Joe Mixon. He's charged with aggravated menacing. Um, reports said that Mixon pointed a firearm at a woman and said, you should be popped in the face. I should shoot you. The police can't get me. The charges were dropped by the city prosecutor on February 3rd, but they could be introduced, pen- reintroduced pending an investigation. Uh, Bengals running back Joe Mixon. What, what the hell are we doing here? Oh, so Joe Mixon goes from punching a woman in the face when he was a running back at Oklahoma yep. to now pointing a gun in a woman's face. Allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. <laughs> and saying that that she should be popped in the face. Yeah. So, yeah, Joe Mixon. Tell me, tell you something, Joe Mixon. Yeah, I, I like Joe Mixon as a Get running back. Get gone. <laughs> Get gone, you ridiculous man. Get gone. As, as great as he is. As great as he is, is this just leaning like Ray Rice here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it, it just shows a, a it shows disrespect and 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 I'm not I don't say you need you need all choir boys on your team, but brother, if you got somebody on the team like that, I don't care how talented they are, I don't want them. Yeah, because it brings an unwelcome distraction to the team. It brings bad publicity and. Uh, and all of these things that you don't want associated with the NFL. Yep. What they don't want is bad press and bad publicity. Not all publicity is good publicity. <laughs> this is not one of those no, things. No, it's not one of those things. <laughs> uh, unbelievable. And the league prides itself on breast cancer awareness. By the way, where are all those pink jerseys and cleats and everything else this past year? Yeah, we didn't see any of that. Didn't did see we? any of that. No, no I guess nope. the check didn't clear. <laughs> <Bastards>. <laughs> 
Man, you just disgruntled there. I'm a little disgruntled. I don't like that Joe Mixon story. I'm sorry, <laughs> brother. But I've heard a couple of Joe Mixon stories. Yeah, yeah. Yep. A wild man there. Yeah. But that's our, our uh, news around the league. Um, so we're going to take ourselves a quick break here, folks. Uh, we got our our uh, rookie, well, our draft rankings. Uh, we're going through running backs and tight ends this week. Last week was quarterbacks and receivers. Um, and and uh, obviously we're still in love with Jordan Addison. That's my guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. We, we do have some good running back and tight end rankings here. Um, so we're going to jump into those right after the break. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back right here on the Outside Blitz. At It's Your Time Massage, you get all the benefits of one of the larger massage chain parlors, but in a more intimate and personal setting. With four years' experience, massage therapist and owner Amanda Yata's goal is to help people in a natural way, offering Swedish deep tissue, pregnancy, aromatherapy, and sports massages. You will feel better and have more energy in just one hour. It's Your Time Massage is offered in-home, Amanda's or yours. With the rates ranging from $55 to $130, you get professional quality at an affordable rate. Contact Amanda today at 313-686-4347 or online at iytmassage.com. It's Your Time Massage, a natural way to improve your well-being. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Outside Blitz. I'm your host, the fabulous one, Scotty Freytown, along with my good friend, the bootleg better boots. I'm so glad you're back joining us. Um, we have one more segment to get through before we uh, we take off for the day, and uh, we're going to talk about some of these uh, prospects that are coming out of the NFL draft. The draft is right around the corner, one of our favorite days of the year, uh, and and. A lot of people were today. We're going to be talking about the uh, running backs and tight ends. Like I said earlier, uh, we talked about quarterbacks and receivers last week, but it's my understanding that you have um, some quarterback thoughts here. Some guys you want to talk about. Some uh, possible wide receiver thoughts. Uh, let, let me hear them, boots. I, I'm excited to hear what you got. I do. I, I have some uh, something called the. Uh... The bootleg B team. <laughs> the right? bootleg B team. And the B stands for boss. Oh, really? It stands for boss. <laughs> it's the bootleg B team. These these will be guys that if you're if you're a team that cannot get the top flight guys at each position, I've got someone who's comparable. Okay. That you could get in the later rounds. All right, that's basically the concept of the bootleg B team, and the B stands for boss. <laughs> the, the bootleg boss team. That's right. <laughs> so who do you, who do you got in the, these later rounds for quarterbacks? Let's let's jump into that. Okay, so okay, so obviously the top two quarterbacks in in the in the draft are going to be C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, yeah, right, respectively. So I'm looking at at C.J. Stroud, and we all know what he what he's got. He's uh. Strong arm. He's a leader. He's mature. Uh, for the most part. Yeah. Okay. And until Michigan's up by you know <laughs> three, 
three touchdowns, and then you kind of see he gets a little frustrated. But C.J. Stroud, the, the game that really struck me was the game he played against uh, Northwestern, driving rainstorm. Right. And the stubbornness of Ryan Day really just shone through that yeah. entire game. He just continued to try to throw the football. It's a driving rainstorm, brother. <laughs> Why? You're having him throw the ball in Hurricane Katrina? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? So... But eventually, I think he kind of gave up on that towards the end of the game. Right. And C.J. Stroud started running. Mm-hmm. And I said, huh, that wasn't a huge part of his game when he was mm-hmm. coming out of high school. Nobody really talked about that all that much. And I think it's because he wanted to show people he was more than a running quarterback. He could be right. a, quote-unquote, pocket passer. Right. Right. But if you have that part of your game, the second reaction plays – where you can get out of the pocket or you see an, an open middle and you can run, get 12, 15 yards and slide down mm-hmm. and, you know, give yourself up. Hey, that's what he can do. Right. He was uh, very effective in that game at that. And C.J. Stroud is a bona fide first rounder. He showed it in the playoff. Against Georgia. Against Georgia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. He had a very good game against Georgia. And once again, I'll go back to why, Ryan Day, are you choosing to try to kick a 50-plus yard field goal when your quarterback has been delivering time after mm-hmm. time, even without Marvin Harrison Jr.? Yep. He delivered. You know, he Stroud delivered. Yep. So, the bootleg version mm. of C.J. Stroud, if you cannot draft him, would be Hendon Hooker, quarterback, okay. Tennessee. Same measurables, right? Hooker stands in the 6'4", 208 pounds. C.J. Stroud stands at 6'3", 218 pounds. Now, Hooker, same deal. Strong arm. Not a huge cannon, but he's got a strong arm. He's a leader. He's mature. He transferred from Virginia Tech yep. to Tennessee, learned a new offense under uh, Jeremy Pruitt, and he not only did that, but he beat out Michigan transfer Joe Milton for the quarterback spot. He did. And so, and and all he did was beat an Alabama team. Yeah. Right. Yep. And that's when they <laughs> they they who they lit the cigars that night, brother. But uh, I think that was a huge emotional lift for the team, and then they ended up losing the very next week because uh, yeah, yeah. you know they, they couldn't they match the emotion. You came know. down from that high a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yep. a little bit. But uh, Hendon Hooker is a very good quarterback. What you see again, what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. Right, but he's he's older. Yep. He's mature. He's a leader. Mm-hmm. He's unflappable. Mm-hmm. But again, I th- I think you you you're getting a a floor player with a limited ceiling. Right. I agree. Right? But you can roll out. You can play with Hendon Hooker. Right. If I were the Tennessee Titans, right, you can play with Hendon Hooker right now. Yeah, I agree. You, yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, and, and we talked about a little bit about Hendon Hooker last week, um, or, or last show. I, you know, he he's a, a guy that, my, my question comes in and in, in is the simplistic uh, uh, offense that he's he's busy running over there with the, the Tennessee uh, volunteers there. The Vols, uh, they, they kind of keep him in a Cam Newton-style spread offense. And and a lot of teams can transition to that, and it might work yeah. out well for him. You know, and we we saw it happen in Carolina. You know, very Cam Newton stuff. He's kind of reading like a Cam Newton right now. He's a good runner. That guy can yeah. run. Um, he has a good release. He fires bullets. Again, yeah. guess who else did that? Cam Newton fired yeah. bullets. I mean, yeah. there was there was a touch on the ball that he kind of lacks, and that's what Cam Newton did too. 
I like Hendon Hooker a lot. Um, yeah. I, I do think he can make a transition into the NFL effectively. He's going to he's almost going to be a little bit of a project player in a way because in a way. because he I don't know that he's got the pro style offense down yet, but he will be a little bit of a project player. But we have seen teams correctly yeah. transition to that spot where they can say, all right, we're going to do a spread offense for you mm-hmm. based out of your college stuff. But in the meantime, you're learning this pro learning style stuff. Style. And, but to his credit. He's intelligent enough to be able oh, yeah. to pick that up. Right? Oh yeah. Now the injury concern with the with the uh, torn, uh, I believe it was MCL or yep. ACL, uh, towards the end of the season, that kind of you know gives you a little bit of pause. But the fact is, the guy got it done when called upon. Yeah, exactly. More often than not. The uh, the injury was was the big thing. Uh, he he did go down uh, last year and and missed the remainder of the season after that that yeah. huge win over Bama, but. Um, Ultimately, you know, I, I agree with you, and, and Alex was is always and has been big on Hendon Hooker as well, and, yeah. and uh, I, I do think he could make a really solid quarterback, really solid. I don't know if he's going to be a day one starter. We're going to find no. out, but I do think Hendon Hooker has the talent to potentially go late first round, oh. and and a lot of people are saying Hendon Hooker is going to go somewhere in the 20s. Um, I think the lowest you're going to see Hendon Hooker go is probably early second round. Yeah, he might be an early day two guy, and I think a lot of that is, has to do with the injury as opposed to his play. Right. You know. Yep. So I agree with you here. I think it's a, a good, um, a good backup option to right. a C.J. Stroud situation if you're not able to get one of those top three guys. Exactly. Now the other quarterback who's talked about being the first round, mm-hmm. Bryce Young. Yep. Alabama. Now let me. <sighs> I gotta, I, I gotta dig a little bit deeper on, on this Bryce Young deal, right? Six feet, hundred ninety four pounds, runs a four five eight forty. Okay, mm-hmm. but that's not important to me right now. He's mentally tough, and he makes key throws in key moments in key games. Yes, that's that is the the precipice of the quarterback position. Can you make yep. the right throw when called upon? And I'll, I'll take you back to this game in, in uh, Texas. It's the second week of the season, okay? It's uh, Alabama at Texas. Texas is up 16 to nothing, 10 minutes left, okay? Alabama's driving with 12.55 left in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. This is why I say Bryce Young is a fourth-quarter quarterback, all right? Now, the ball's on their own 25-yard line. Texas has forced six Bama punts, and Bama couldn't run it, all right? Young is at this point, he's 12 of 20 for 77 yards. Oof. Yeah, at this point. Yeah. In the game, yeah. So now, the first play is a three yard run by Jameer Gibbs. And we'll get on, we'll we'll talk about him in a second. All right. Then there's an incomplete pass dropped by Jermaine Burton. Then on third and seven, it's, it was the easiest, most leisurely looking scramble I had ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he ran for 17 yards, uh, uh, Young did, ran for 17 yards, just easy, and got out of bounds, okay? Now he gets the first down, here comes a seven-yard pass to uh, uh, the tight end, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Then a four-yard run by the running back, uh, Roy Dell Williams. Then uh, it, they didn't convert on third and three. Now it's fourth and three on the 42-yard line, 14-yard pass to Ja'Cory Brooks, mm-hmm. who had made his first catch that whole game, <laughs> right? Now, they're just past halftime, or uh, half... Midfield. Uh, midfield, yeah. And, and again, Young hits Brooks for another 17-yard pass, middle of the field. 
Now it's first and goal. Shotgun snap. Pump fake. Young starts to run the middle. Nothing's there. He fades to the left. Resets. Barely releases the ball with a defender in his face. Off of his back foot slightly. Finds Jameer Gibbs. There he is again. Mm -hmm. For a touchdown. He went 6 of 8. 52 yards on the drive. And and Bama got the lead at that point. Yeah. That was a drive that lasted about five minutes, but it showed the capability of a quarter. When you need a quarterback to make a play, right? He He's makes the, guy. the oh my god, he plays the position. Dare I say, perfectly? Yep. It doesn't matter that he's five eleven, one hundred ninety four pounds. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter when you can complete the pass. Here's another thing about him. He's got spidey senses. Yeah. In the pocket, right? Yep. He can sense the rush. It's almost like in 1985, you couldn't get close to a squirrel, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like 12 feet away, you stepped on the blade of grass, the squirrel was oop, up the tree. Yep. Right? Got away from it because he was eating nuts and, and seeds and berries, right? Mm-hmm. Now that we, you know, eating chicken wings and hot Cheetos <laughs> and throwing it out into nature, that's what they eat. The stuff that's giving us high blood pressure and yep. cholesterol, that's what squirrels are eating. You, <laughs> You can damn near walk up and pick up a squirrel nowadays, right? Yep, yep. You know, take them home with you. I saw a preschooler run over a squirrel three days ago. <laughs> she boom, just kept on going. Boop, boop, boop. Didn't even look back. Anyway, <laughs> Bryce Young is like a squirrel in 1985. Mm-hmm. He senses the rush, and he gets out of there just like that. Right. And not only to run, but he gets out of there to look for the passing lane. Yeah. To get the ball where it needs to get to when it needs to get there. He's incredibly fast. Excellent. He's incredibly fast. He running, is. Running, running Smooth with the runner. Yep. Smooth yep. runner. They, they say that his his um, uh, north-south running is is yeah. some of the, the straight line speed that they've, they've seen yeah. on him, some of the fastest they've ever seen. Yeah. Um, he's he's quick as hell. He is. Um, and, and really, I... The arm strength is is a question as far as Bryce Young goes. I like Bryce Young a lot. Uh, the the arm strength. The only reason the size comes up, and I think that's a, a pretty constant thing. There are certain. And, and I don't know that the size would be as much of a concern when it comes to Bryce Young if he didn't have the shoulder injury. If if the injury doesn't happen, mm-hmm. and and he doesn't have the arm talent of a, a CJ Stroud. He doesn't uh, as far as arm strength goes. He has a, a good arm. Um, and he can make passes at all three levels, which is great. But it, if the injury didn't happen, we wouldn't be talking more about oh, he's you know six foot, probably closer to five eleven, you know one ninety four. Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't be having that conversation. And, and he's going to try, according to what he says. We'll we'll see how it pans out. Mm-hmm. He says he's going to put on a bigger frame. He says he wants to put on about 10, 15 more pounds. That would that would definitely help. Yeah, it would it would help, and he's gonna have to do some big eating for something. Like yeah, because he mean, he took a couple of big hits in that game, but he got back up. Right, right. Almost Joe Burrow like got back up. Yep, and and all he did was throw a touchdown on the next play. Bingo. He's uh, Bryce Young is one of is. I don't want to say he's, I think he honestly I think he's better than C.J. Stroud playing the position. Right, wow. the measurables may not be comparable. Right. right? But just playing the position, big-time players make big-time plays in big-time games, as Emory Hunt would say. Mm-hmm. And Bryce Young checks all those boxes. Number one, he's a leader. Yep. Number two, he throws touchdowns. Number three, he doesn't turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. That's what I want from a quarterback. He gives you all of that. Now, 
the bootleg version of Bryce Young. <laughs> yep. Regardless of what just happened with the guy, mm-hmm. I'm going to say it. Stetson Bennett. Oh, wow. Of Georgia. I mean, let, let me tell you about this guy. A walk-on mm-hmm. who, when he got in the starting lineup, sent JT Daniels, the quarterback at that time, right. out to USC. And then he was out of a job because Lincoln Riley changed uh, coaching spots yep. and, and went there and took Caleb Williams with him. But Stetson Bennett has all of the tools that you want in a, the intangibles. It, it's it's almost like when you play the when you play the position you he plays above the right. he plays above the what the position asks for. He's just as athletic as any other quarterback in in the nation. He doesn't have a rocket arm, but he gets the ball where it needs to go. And what does it say to go back to back as a right. walk on? Right. And win two national championships. Stetson Bennett, to me, I I think he is the the college football's biggest overachiever. Yeah, yeah, and and people, you know, like even to this day, you know, you see a guy that's gone to back to back national championships and played well in in both those situations. Mm-hmm. Bennett has played well, and and I don't, you know, it's it's weird. He wins, but he wins in such a way. Yeah, where it, it's like. Wow, like like for all the negative yeah. attention that he gets as far as the draft goes, I expected him to go higher. Right. Um, he gets a lot of negative attention. He doesn't look like a guy uh, as far as his playing goes. He doesn't, right. and, and I don't know if they're seeing something that I'm not. Right. Uh, maybe I'm crazy. I see a guy like Stetson Bennett, and I'm like, he looks like he can handle a pro-style offense. He yeah. looks like he can... He yeah. can do everything that they're asking him to do as far yeah. and so I don't understand the hate that that guy gets as far as scouting reports go. He is a, a honestly he's becoming a, a weird sleeper in this whole thing mm-hmm. because everybody's going to be excited to see to see Stetson Bennett if he comes out mm-hmm. and and comes into the draft. I it's it's a strange anomaly. Yeah. A guy who is supposed to be slated as a 6th or 7th rounder is playing he Stetson Bennett could very well be the Tom Brady of our generation, of the, of the next generation. You could you don't be. know, like like of my generation, Tom Brady was Tom Brady. Now now we and, and I had as a kid, as a young man, it was guys like Steve Young and Troy Aikman and Brett Favre and things like that. Right. Now here we are, and and we could of the next generation, Stetson Bennett could be the new Tom Brady. Who knows? We don't know how he's going to transition to the NFL. I see a guy that handles a pro style offense extremely well. Yeah. And I see a guy that makes the plays when they need to happen. Yeah. I see a guy with a good strong arm. I see a guy that makes accurate passes. Yeah. I see a guy that keeps momentum on his side and keeps teams down, doesn't let them fire back. No. And he plays good, calm, collected football. When they when the Georgia Bulldogs needed him, he answered the call. Yep. To go from, like I said, being a walk on. Mm-hmm. All right, getting cracking the starting just being a walk on and making the team first off. Now you're cracking the starting lineup, and now, but not only that, not only that, you're well, you winning won. games. You won, right? <laughs> you won the whole damn thing. SEC <laughs> undefeated for two years. <laughs> two years, right? Like when does that happen? When, yep. And when you see it, you have to take note because look. Remember the Georgia defense. How many defensive players they lost off of that defense, mm-hmm. especially in the first round? Yep. Right. And and they lost uh, George Pickens, the re- the receiver. Yeah. They lost some offensive. They still had Stetson Bennett, and it didn't matter what they lost. 
because they had him. Right. He was the straw that stirred the drink, as you just said the other uh, few minutes ago. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's kind of where we're at. I, I think Stetson Bennett, he could be a, a game manager quarterback. He might he you know, yeah. and, and people aren't big on Stetson Bennett. He could be just the luckiest some bitch alive. Who knows? Right. You know, because right. we've seen that shit happen before. But realistically, yeah. I think Stetson Bennett, people are sleeping on that guy. Yeah, I think Stetson Bennett could very well wind up being the next big thing in this league. And we could be having a conversation where we're like, hmm, Stetson Bennett, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah. There's something about it. Yeah, there's, there's something to it that that man can handle a pro-style offense the way he does. And, and it's not... He's not being carried. He's not being right. carried by exactly. anybody. Exactly. No, he's making the plays. I mean, of course, there's Brock yeah. Bowers. <laughs> yeah. But he's but Stetson Bennett makes the proper play, whether he needs to run the ball yep. and, and score, which I've seen him do plenty of times, mm-hmm. or, or getting the ball where it needs to get to, to a receiver in the open field or midfield, whatever. He makes the throws. And, and if he goes in a late round to a, a high-end team, uh, like you know, imagine a Stetson Bennett winding up, you know, in a, a spot like uh, I don't want to say Vegas, but say he winds up with the Seahawks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that'd be a nice position to be in for a guy like Stetson Bennett. Yeah, say he's a he, competitor. Yeah, say he winds up with the New York Jets, who currently have one of the best offensive lines in all of football. Yeah, could be a good spot for a guy like Stetson yeah. Bennett, a team that's getting ready to compete. Imagine him winding up with the Detroit Lions. Yeah. Could be a good spot for Stetson Bennett. Yeah. You know, the Chicago Bears might be a good spot for Stetson Bennett. There are spots where he can show up teams that are either rebuilding or teams that are are getting ready to compete. Yeah. The Miami Dolphins for Stetson Bennett would be something. That That would be something. So, I mean, there are spots where he can – New Orleans would be another great spot. Imagine him winding up with the Denver Broncos could be Mm -hmm. a spot, sitting Mm -hmm. behind Russ Wilson for a little bit. There are places for him to go. The New York Giants would be excellent for him with Brian Dable. Yeah. The Minnesota Vikings would be a good spot for him to sit behind Kirk Cousins for a year. Yeah. Er, age is concerned, obviously. Yeah. He's, what, 25, 26? Yeah. But, yep. again, that brings, well, it's supposed to bring a certain level of maturity. Yeah. What, what just happened with him aside. But you that's what you're looking for. Okay, a guy that we can possibly, if we need him to, to win a right. couple of games and play three, four, five games for us, and maybe win three of those, he's the guy. Yeah. He's Stetson, really good. Man. Stetson getting drunk in public. I mean, hey, we've seen it. We've seen worse. We, yeah. We've we, seen worse. Haven't we all gotten drunk in public? Yeah, at some point. At some point, <laughs> I like to believe we have. So, Stetson Bennett wind up being the guy. Um, you got any more for me? Uh, not at the quarterback no, position. Not, not right now. We'll, we'll, get, we'll talk about a few more guys as the uh, draft comes closer. All right. Uh, well, jumping into our running backs and tight end rankings here. Um, the, the, I'm going to jump into the running backs first. Uh, All right. we're going to jump and Number one, I, I think is a no brainer. Uh, this guy has been a, a badass since, I mean, forever. Uh, B. John Robinson from, uh, Texas. If he was available last year, he'd have been the first round last year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's a gutsy, I mean, he's balls to the wall running back. He, he's got the perfect size and speed combination. He plays aggressively in the trenches. Um, he has the size to pass block. He does so effectively. Uh, he, he'll push and fight for yards after the initial contact. He, man, The drive that that kid has with his feet is something. Um, he has good vision. 
he, he uh, consistently finds holes, and he'll beeline for them. He, he has strong receiving abilities. He's really an all-around type of running back. He has the size and power to be like, a, an, and I like to mention it like this, a 1990s-style workhorse running back. That's what I want to see out of Bijan Robinson. I feel like this kid could be the next coming of Thurman Thomas. Um, mm. He produced 1,575 yards rushing and 18 touchdowns last year. I mean, he's a monster. The only cons on him, and it's it's not a lot, he has really good speed, but he isn't a speed demon. You know, he's he's more of a power runner than anything. He'll body catch on passing downs, but really he's kind of an every down back, so that's why I'm not super concerned about it. Um, those body catches, like those body receptions, though, they do cause uh, some drops. Um, he plays with his pads a little high, which can impact his tackle breaking ability. And he gets a little antsy behind the line. So he's not going to let his uh, blocks happen in time, which results in a kind of a plow into the line type situation and just get gobbled up. But ultimately, I think Bijan Robinson is easily the top running back out of this class. I, I don't think it's even, you can't even question it. He is such a special player. He's the kind of guy that's going to really set the world ablaze no matter where he goes. I think a perfect fit for a guy like him would be the Buffalo Bills. They need a running back desperately. They need a big, nasty power running back, and I think a guy like him would be an excellent fit. Um, there, there's no other running back in this draft like him. He's young. He's he's just a big, strong guy. I like Bijan Robinson. What say you? All right, Bijan Robinson, six foot, two hundred twenty-two pounds, like the NFL optimum, yeah, right or minimum, I should say, for NFL running back is six foot, two hundred pounds. Yep, right. That's like the the NFL minimum. He's six foot, two hundred twenty-two pounds. All right, he runs a four four two forty, low of four three two, high of four five. Mm-hmm. All right, that's uh, per DraftScout.com. He's got uh, Bijan Robinson. He's got game breaking speed. Yep. He, he he does have game breaking speed. Now he is not a traditional between the tackles all the time. Not all the time. Running no. back, not all the time. But he can get it done from time to time. He's, I saw, a, he's, he's a power back, though. I mean, I've seen some of these these. Uh, open field tackles that guys yeah. try to make on him, and man, he just bowls them over. And here's and, and another thing he can do: he sticks a foot in the ground, okay, makes a cut, and he's gone. So I saw in one play what I needed to see. Uh, I'm gonna take you back again. Take you back to a game uh, mid midway through this college season. Mm-hmm. Texas was at Oklahoma State. Yep. Now Oklahoma State had the most had the most starts by defense by defense uh, in the FBS last season. Yep. So this is a veteran defense that Texas is, is going against, right? Now, at the uh, at the snap, Robinson's in the backfield, and the receiver set to the short side and the right guard. Okay, they work to the left. So the guard's going to pull and blocks the weak side defensive end while the receiver blocks out a linebacker. Why you would have a receiver blocking a linebacker, I don't know. Yeah, you're gonna have to take the knees on that one. <laughs> yeah. So but that receiver, let's just say he whiffed he damn near whiffed that block. Yeah. Okay. So the linebacker is in the hole and he's bearing down on Robinson. Right. Now the other receiver, the receiver to the wide side of the field, Xavier Worthy, one of the we're not talking about him yet, but yeah. He's one of the best in the nation. Xavier Worthy was a clinical block, laid a clinical block on the corner, mm-hmm. right? And so Robinson ended up, because of the other receivers, with Robinson had to stretch all the way 
to basically the other side of the field. Yeah, yeah. and he and and uh, Robinson and Xavier Worthy's cleats were touching. Okay, <laughs> well the guard makes makes his block. The the receiver doesn't. So Robinson stretches. Meanwhile, the receiver lined up to the weak side, or excuse me, strong side. He he's got a good block. The backer dives at Robinson's feet, but Robinson runs through that tackle, stumbles a bit. He resets and comes face-to-face with number 25. I'm not going to say number 25's name yep. because, brother, he got shook out his cleats. <laughs> he ended up on one knee. Yeah, it was lucky. It looked like he was begging for mercy. Yeah, yep. like please, please don't make me look any worse than I already look right now. <laughs> yeah. And number twenty, because Robinson, he he stuck a foot in the ground, and he shook him. Yep. And there were two other defenders in the area, and all three of them ended up looking at the back of Bijan Robinson's jersey. Yeah. Two other defenders joined him. <laughs> As five guys were chasing Bijan Robinson, forty-two yards for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. I saw just about everything I needed to see in that play. Yep, give me a game breaker. Give me a guy who's going to catch the ball out of the backfield like he can. Give me a guy who's going to score the ball. Bijan Robinson does all of those things. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, you know, and the, the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, fifteen hundred eighty yards. I mean, at fifteen hundred and seventy-five yards rushing, eighteen touchdowns. I, he's something special. Uh, the University of Texas man—they go out and, and produce a monster. Yeah. <laughs> Peshaw Robinson. Yeah. Um, number I mean, two, and they've had good, good ones. Ricky Ricky Williams. Yep. Cedric Benson. Yep. Right. They had good players come out of there. Yeah. Uh, number two goes to Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like Charbonnet a lot, and and people are a little surprised by this, I'm sure, because you know I'm I. Actually moved over a guy um, that who who right now is ranked as the number two prospect in Jameer Gibbs, and and we'll talk about Jameer Gibbs shortly. Oh yeah, but Charbonnet, um, he's outstanding. He has great size and speed. He he's an excellent every down back. Uh, he's more patient than Robinson behind the line, letting his blocks set up, which is nice. Uh, he's a strong pass catcher. He can make contested catches in spite of poorly thrown balls. He's a talented north-south running back. He can he has the ability to run over at first tackler, and he'll fight for extra yardage every step of the way. Um, he plays at a nice, ideal pad level. He's not afraid to lower his shoulder and fight for that yardage. I love that. Um, the cons to this guy, he doesn't have the ability to change direction uh, as as easily as B. John right. Robinson does. Um, he needs to anticipate passes that are coming his way. Uh, the lack of realization that passes are headed in his direction, it results in some drops, and I've seen that. I saw that this year. It, it resulted in some drops for him. Um, his blocking and pass protection is questionable. I mean, that's he could use work in that department. Uh, he's used almost exclusively as a pounding tailback as opposed to a pass catcher, though. So we'll need to have he'll need to have that experience when coming to the NFL level. He'll need to develop that. Uh, part of his game as far as a route runner goes he's he's more of a a you know hand me the ball tailback and let me just pound in the line let me go where I got to go I like Zach Charbonnet I think people are sleeping on him a little bit he's the kind of guy that'll go in the second round I think maybe we're talking mid-second I think that's that's Mm -hmm. probable but uh he's a good running back UCLA produced a good one in Zach Charbonnet what do you what do you think of this guy okay well uh Zach Charbonnet 6'1 220 Mm -hmm. That's that's prototypical, yep. right? You know, you're, Fits you're the in the right direction, yep. right? He uh, ran a four three six low time, four four six 
mid-time and a high of 4.54. So you know he, he's, he's got the wheels, right? Yep, yep. The transfer from Michigan, mm-hmm. he apparently said he didn't want to run the ball as much. <laughs> and be a part of such of a you know such a, a a ground game, but then he goes to UCLA and, does and that's what he all does. that's all Chip Kelly does. <laughs> yeah, is run the ball. Yep. So if you didn't want to get the ball, you know, handed to you, hey, don't go to UCLA. But with that being said, brother, he has a really good feel for the run game. He's got excellent vision. Mm-hmm. He is strong. He is fast, and I think he fits best. In a zone blocking type scheme, I agree right? wholeheartedly. One cut and go. Yep, that's that's his that's his game. Yeah, you're you're talking about about you know like um and and Mike Zimmer did it with Dalvin Cook for yes. a long time. Yes, uh, that's kind of who he reminds me of. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what he's got to do. He's he, being in a zone running scheme will be very beneficial to him having that that uh, uh, guard kick out to the outside, create yeah. that lane. I think yes. that would be beautiful for a runner like him. Yeah, because that's all, I mean, that's a, a ton of what UCLA did mm-hmm. with him. They they did a lot of stretch, a lot of tosses, get him into space and utilize that speed that he does have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, number three is going to be somewhat of a surprise for folks. I'm going Tank mm-hmm. Bigsby here out of Auburn. Tank. The Tank, baby. Uh, you know, he lacks the conventional power running of the first two, but he makes up for it with greasy fast speed. He's faster than hell. He's got the ability to break outside. He can make outside linebackers just look outright silly. Um, comes off as more of a, this is, again, a poor man's Dalvin Cook. He consistently finds holes in the line. He he plants his foot while in motion, bursts for big plays. I mean, it's huge. He has patience in the backfield. He will let his blocks develop so he can burst through the holes and make plays happen. He has strong hands for pats catching, so he can kind of do all that. Reminds me of Dalvin Cook. Uh, He needs to develop as a route runner out of the backfield a little bit. Um, He does have the ability to make opposing defenders miss, but he's not a power runner by any stretch of the imagination. So he's going to go ahead and he'll make a miss with his speed more than anything. Uh, He does lack the decision-making to get after opportunities that are presented to him. Um, He tries to get a little too cutesy with his footwork, though, I noticed. Um, He's just... uh, instead of just moving his way through the trenches, it, it has costed him bigger plays in the past. Uh, and I like Tank Bidsby a lot out of, out of Auburn. Um, uh, he's another guy that I think will fit really well into a zone running scheme like that. He's going to need big blockers in front of him. He's a speedster. He's not a big guy. Uh, he could be utilized in something like a Reggie Bush-esque uh, 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 complimentary type of way, as sort of a change of pace back. But I could truly see him being a, a number one back in the league with his speed and, and agility. What do you think of Tank? Uh, Tank, he's six foot, two hundred thirteen pounds. I like Tank. Yeah, I like Tank. Right? Six foot, two hundred thirteen pounds. Uh, runs a uh, four five two, low of four four two, high of four six. Right, so he's got good speed for a running back. Right, that is still good speed for a running back. Mm-hmm. He's not going to run away from a ton of guys. No, he won't do that. But I think he does present a. Str- he's got a nose for the end zone, mm-hmm. so he is a strong goal line back in in terms of he wants to. Sco- it seems like he wants to score every single time yeah. he touches the football. Yep, right. He he's a strong. He may not be a strong runner, but he's hard to tackle mm-hmm. at the same time, right? Because he does keep his legs churning. Yeah, he does. He he does. Fight through arm tackles. You're not going to bring, you know, the left arm, right arm, the thing you're no, going to bring around no, Tank no, Bixby. No. no, there's a reason why his name is Tank, <laughs> right? He's got uh, good speed, good balance, 
not so much a receiver out of the backfield. Struggles in pass pro a little bit. But I mean, I I think he like to me. I think he's faster than than a lot of folks are giving him credit for. I said greasy yeah. fast speed, and and I think it he's he's like he's got I, better game speed. Yeah, than you think he does. Yeah, I I think that's that's the big thing to me. He looks way faster than than a lot of people are saying in a, a lot of these uh, scouting reports and whatnot. I I watched him and I watched a guy that can he can go yeah. in game. I'm going wow, look at look yeah. at him. A uh, lot of times he was the only thing on offense that Auburn had. Yeah, in the last couple of years. I agree. I agree. He's uh he's a special type of player. I I think you know you're going to see this guy go third fourth round and he yeah. could wind up being. Uh, a star. Another guy that I think you're going to see go third, fourth round, though, and and this is probably my favorite under the radar prospect. I love this guy, Mo Ibrahim, Money Mo out of uh, Minnesota. Oh yeah, uh, I love Mo Ibrahim. I think he is a special runner. Uh, he ran for 1,665 yards on 320 carries for an average of 5.3 yards per carry. He broke 100 yards in all but two games this season. He had 20 touchdowns. Um, he gives defenders fits when tackling him in open field. I mean, he almost never gets brought down one-on-one. He's a violent runner with a ferocious stiff arm. He consistently throws opponents off, opposing defenders off. Uh, he has excellent agility. He makes his cuts, and he delivers big plays in spite of of not possessing the breakneck speed, he makes linebackers look silly. Um, he, he uses their own momentum against him and creates huge plays. Uh, the cons for him, he struggled in route running. In spite of having an outstanding pass-catching talent, he, his route running is, is iffy. Uh, he's not going to be overly effective if he's placed out wide. Uh, a lot of teams like to do that in the NFL is throw their, their running back out wide. He's not going to be the guy that they're going to be throwing the ball to. Um, He's not fully capable of shaking off opposing defenders when running pass routes. He's not a route runner. He's just not. And and getting the corners to get off of him, he's, he needs to figure out those fundamentals in order to be a pass. Uh, if they do send him out wide, they, he needs to figure out those fundamentals. And he needs to be quicker when deciding on where he's going to go at the line of scrimmage as blocks are set up for him to bolt. Um, his decision-making, a little iffy. But I, I really think that he is like, uh, I'm not going to say raw, but I think he's more of an instinctive type of runner than anything. Yeah. Um, he's a, a big, nasty guy. Get the hell off me. Let me throw you off. I love Mo Ibrahim. I think he's he, – and I have him ranked as four on here because that's kind of what I think most people are looking at as far as top prospects go. I think Mo Ibrahim's around this point. In my opinion, he's around this point as a prospect, but he's still probably my favorite prospect out of the bunch. I think this kid's going to be special. What do you think? I am a fan of uh, Mohammed Ibrahim. I, <laughs> I, I love Mohammed Ibrahim. For the last two, all I know is, in the words of Emory Hunt, all I know is, every time I look up, Mohammed Ibrahim is running 30 yards for a touchdown. Yep. And he's ran through three or four arm tackles to get there. Absolutely. Okay, he's 5'8", 203 pounds. Okay, runs a four five nine forty. That's his, so that's a, it's a little on the slow side, yep. but he plays faster than that yeah he's a a bowling ball full of butcher knives as as, as (laughs) they say you want to try to tackle muhammad ibrahim please please try yeah try i I dare you to try (laughs) he's he he plays like he's derrick henry size but he's not he's not he's very he's very strong at the point of attack he fights through tackles he he gains yards every single time all i see him do is fall forward yep. and if you're a running back okay rule number one don't turn the ball over 
Mm-hmm. Rule number two, always fall forward. Yep. Number three, score a touchdown. Yep. And Muhammad Ibrahim does all three of those All things. three. Yep. Now he's projected as a, as a fifth or sixth round prior to the combine. Right. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But I, I am a fan of Muhammad Ibrahim. I, I, everything you said about him, I agree 100%. But he's very, very good. He was the reason why Minnesota, I, I don't care who else was on the team. Don't, no disrespect. But Muhammad Ibrahim was the reason why Minnesota has won so many games in the last two years. Not the quarterback, Tanner Morgan. Not, no. Nope. Uh, 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 went to the Baltimore Ravens uh, oh, receiver. Yeah. First uh, round guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, anyway, yeah. So Muhammad Ibrahim, he was the reason why Minnesota has been so effective and so competitive because they can always turn around. Hand him the ball, and he can get you six, seven, eight yards. Absolutely, I think he's a, he's a special runner. Um, number five, though, is going to be a surprise to some folks. Uh, number five is a guy I was big on, and and the more I looked into him, and the more I looked at the tape on him, the less impressed I was. Uh, really? J- yeah, Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama, <gasps> and and I know it it throws some folks for the loop, but uh, the some of the stuff I saw was kind of interesting. Look, he's a young guy. Uh, he's 21 years old, or he'll be 21 when the draft comes, and he'll have plenty of time to develop as a potential number one running back. Nobody's, nobody's uh, questioning that. I think he's fast as hell. You know, he's he's got tremendous breakaway speed. He's an excellent playmaker outside the tackles. Really, a solid change of pace back. He's got good hands. He can run almost every route in the route tree. He possesses the talent to be a speedier third round running back, uh, or a th- third down running back rather. Um, but he lacks the power to be effective in the trenches as a power back, in my opinion. I, I think he, he comes across as more of a change-of-pace style back that would lean more into niche pass-catcher style of play, if that makes sense. Hey, he's a niche player, and, and his pass blocking is questionable. He lacks the size to handle that assignment, and he would need to add size in order to be considered a number one running back in the NFL, in my opinion. You know, a lot of people are big on Gibbs. A lot of people see the speed, and I understand why people get excited about that. I think he's a change-of-pace guy. I think he's going to fall into more of a Darren Sproles-type spot where he's going to be used as a change-of-pace running back. And for a team that needs a change-of-pace back, hey, that's your guy. But I don't know that he's got the capability or the size. I don't. I just don't think he has the ability to be a number one running back in this league. Uh, I I really do think he's going to be a third down back, a Shane Vereen type player. Ooh. You're you're not going to see him be a, a number one guy. What what do you think of Jameer Gibbs? Okay, well this is where. <laughs> Hold on. I know. All right. I know. No. <laughs> Jameer Gibbs, five ten, two hundred pounds, right? Mm-hmm. So he's a little bit, a little short, a little short. But here's the thing, as Emory Hunt would say, size is not a skill. If you're good enough, you're big enough, right? right. He runs a four three four forty four two six low a four four three high. Yep. He's uh, predicted to be a, a first round draft pick, and I'm gonna say something a little bit controversial right here. Oh boy. I mean, I, I went in <laughs> on Skyline Chili. We're gonna <laughs> Skyline Chili. Get out of here. It's disgusting. Oh, All right. Man. <laughs> but not, what's not disgusting is the play of Jameer Gibbs. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you three guys that the Alabama Crimson Tide last year could not have played and won as many games as they did without mm. Bryce Young yep. at quarterback, 
Jameer Gibbs at running back, and Will Anderson at defensive end. Mm-hmm. We'll get we'll get to Will Anderson in in the another in another show. Yeah, but Jameer Gibbs to me is better than Bijan Robinson. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, and let me tell you why. It's a bold prediction there, Cotton. Let's now, see if it if it pans out for him. <laughs> let me tell you why. Because I watched the game September tenth. Yep. Alabama on the road at Texas. Jameer Gibbs consistently showed up on film. Yes, he did. Bryce Young out of the backfield. Hey, there's Jameer Gibbs. Hey, there's Jameer Gibbs. Hey, there's Jameer Gibbs. And even when he had to run the football in between the tackles from time to time, he still picked up three, four, five yards. Mm -hmm. Or he got a key first down. Jameer Gibbs made plays throughout the entire game, and especially in the fourth quarter. That fourth quarter uh, play I was uh, discussing with Bryce Young making a a, a huge pass in the end zone to set up Alabama taking the lead and then eventually holding on to to only need a field goal later to win, it was Jameer Gibbs who caught that touchdown pass. Right. He, Gibbs, for the entire season, was the safety valve and safety blanket of Bryce Young, and he consistently produced in that role. Now, in that same game against Texas, when Texas needed first down, they needed to get the ball in the end zone. They needed to move the ball. B. John Robinson, he didn't get it done. Right. But when Bama needed to move the ball and needed to, to get a first down, they need, Jameer Gibbs did. And and here's the the one thing about Jameer Gibbs, and, and I – now you're right. He's definitely an he's an RB two mm-hmm. at the next level. Yeah, with an RB one upside if he gains a little bit more weight it, or, or gets a little stronger or what have you. But he definitely has first round talent. Well, here's here's my thing about about Jameer Gibbs and and just looking at the numbers, the teams that he took on that were not spectacular are the teams that he tore up on the ground. Yeah. Uh, we're talking Arkansas. Arkansas is not spectacular against the run. No. Uh, he had 18 carries for 206 yards, two touchdowns in that game. Talk about it. Yep. Uh, Texas A&M, 21 carries for 154 yards. Woo-hoo! You know, Texas A&M, not a good run-stopping All team. All those five-star recruits. Uh, what happened, come on Jimbo? now. Yeah, right. Uh, Mississippi State, you know, or well, I'm sorry, Tennessee. He got 24 rushes for 103 yards. He had a 4.3 average in that game. Yeah, Th- those were the the big games, and I mean, like he took on LSU. He had 15 carries for 99 yards. Doesn't necessarily have a nose for the end zone. I mean, he had seven touchdowns on the year. When he gets hot, he gets hot. But look at this: Mississippi State, 10 carries, 37 yards. Um, against Ole Miss, six attempts for three yards. Uh, so he he had a .5 average in that game. I mean, right. you know, we're he took on Auburn. He had 17 carries for 76 yards. Uh, he took on Kansas State, 15 carries for 76 yards. But look at the, and, and this is the kind of the numbers that stood out to me. For example, against Texas, nine receptions for 74 yards and a yeah. touchdown. Against uh, ULM, four receptions, 65 yards, touchdown. Yeah. Against Vanderbilt, three receptions, 43 yards, touchdown. You know, he had five re- against uh, Tennessee, five receptions, 48 yards. He had... Four receptions for 33 yards against Mississippi State. Eight receptions for 64 yards against LSU. Yeah, he had Kansas State two receptions, 66 yards. I think his speed 
is special. Huge, oh, and yeah. and huge part of his game. Yeah, his speed is special. The problem for me comes in where I think we're we're entering change of pace time. Is is what I I really believe that he's going to wind up be, which is why I have him. And somebody is going to going to sell the farm. We're going to see the Andy Reid situation. We're going to see the Kansas City Chiefs type situation where they go after him in a. Um, you know, they, they went and picked him up as a, uh, a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as a 32nd overall pick in round one. I think right around that point may very well be where we see Jameer Gibbs go yeah. because a team is going to either, A, be looking to find that change of pace back or somebody believes that they can make him a number one back. And if they do do that, it could be another square peg round hole situation. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Yeah. But but one thing I can say is I he's because of his skill set, I don't have him as my number one guy, or I don't have him as my number two guy, and and uh, I think it's ballsy to say that that he's better than Bijan Robinson. I mean, we're gonna, I'm gonna be, be just, I'm gonna write that one down be, for you. Just, watch <laughs> just, just watching the, just watching the game where those two players met. I don't want to say met, you know, because they didn't play each right, other, right? Right, but in that game. Bijan Robinson did not show up consistently on mm-hmm. film right. the way Jameer Gibbs did. And here's another thing. It, it's not about how many carries you get. It's about the quality, quality. of the carries, yep. right? It's not about how many receptions you have. It's the when did he catch those passes and right. when was the touchdown, right? Did it break the back of the defense like it did against Texas? Because mm-hmm. at, when Jameer Gibbs caught that touchdown pass against Texas, the game felt like at that point, okay, it's over. Right now, Alabama has the lead, and we can probably say goodnight. Yeah, yeah, I I can see that. I I really like Jameer Gibbs. He was the the a key catalyst. Yeah, in the in the uh, offense of the Alabama Crimson Tide. I want to I want to see if Gibbs uh, can can develop into a true number one, and that's that, that that's going to be it's going to be the question of the day. He's probably an RB two. I'm 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 not disputing right. that. He he probably will be an RB two. But he will be a highly effective RB two. Yeah, yeah, but very Darren Sproles, very uh, uh, Reggie Bush type of thing. I think. And the bootleg version uh-huh. of Jameer Gibbs, in my opinion, Sir Roderick Thompson, Ooh. out of Texas Tech. Wow. Yeah, Sir Roderick Thompson. Uh, he, he runs a four five nine forty, low of four five, high of four six five. He's 6'3", 200, or excuse me, 6 feet, 213 pounds. Mm-hmm. Now, let me tell you something interesting about uh, Sir Roderick Thompson. He split he split time for the last three years at, at Texas Tech, which probably, again, projects him to be an RB2 at the next level. Right. Even, even though he's got decent size, he's a little thin for the for the force frame. Right. Now, he could probably put on 15 pounds and, and, and be just fine, but uh, he played in the NFL PA Bowl. Okay, then he was upgraded at the last minute to the Senior Bowl, the Reese's, uh, Reese's Senior Bowl. Yeah, they Bowl. wanted to see more of that. Yeah, they yep. wanted to see him. And uh, and he produced in those games. And that shows something when you're able to, at a moment's notice, drop what you're doing. Hey, we need you at the Senior Bowl. Okay. Okay, I'm so, there. And he was yep. there. That shows uh, a de- determination factor. He's, mm-hmm. he's uh, very good in open space, right? He's got a great spin move. He's a shifty runner. He'll shake you out of your cleats. He's a very good receiver out of the backfield. Um, he's dealing. He is coming off of a shoulder injury about a year and a half ago. Uh, he's not a true between the tackles runner, and he can be tackled pretty easily. Mm-hmm. But 
if you take the wrong angle and yep. you don't break down and you're, not, and you're a sloppy tackler, you'll never see him. Uh, he had 23 starts, uh, nine, 1,980 yards, and averaged 4.9 yards a carry. That's excellent. Excellent. Yep. So, but uh, the, the cons, like I said, he, he dealt with the shoulder injury. He's got a thin frame, not willing. He's a not he, he's not a willing blocker. Yeah, yeah. Right? And he kind of whiffs on the He needs to extend his arms faster. He's got mm-hmm. long arms, and he needs to extend those a little faster to actually put hands on someone who's trying to get to the quarterback right. instead of just acting like he's going to do it. Uh, but he's best in a timeshare. Oh, yeah. Uh, type of situation. But Sir Roderick Thompson is the bootleg version. He reminds me of Alvin Kamara. Kind of like Jameer Gibbs yep. reminds me of Alvin Kamara. He's the bootleg version of Jameer Gibbs. So whoever gets Sir Roderick Thompson, you've got the bootleg version of Jameer Gibbs. Absolutely. Uh, moving into our tight ends, though. we got tight All ends. Right. Uh, and and uh, I know uh, you were we were pretty excited about uh, this first guy, Michael Mayer out of uh, – Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, he's a vertical tight end, man. He he's shown strong pass catching ability. He's got eleven point eight and a twelve point one yards per catch in the last two seasons. Yeah. Uh, strong red zone threat. He's got the ability to get into the end zone while high pointing the ball in contested catch situations. Uh, he's a strong route runner. Um, he's and he's he had a limited route tree under his belt, but he's still a good route runner when he's kind of taught those routes. Uh, he has the ability to throw off press coverage uh, with ease. He gets open down the seam. Um, I like Michael Mayer a lot. The cons on this guy, he needs to work on his blocking fundamentals um, to create cleaner blocks in the NFL level in spite of being the best blocking tight end out of this draft class, which it, it says something when he needs to create cleaner blocks and he's the best one of the bunch. Yeah. Um, he's not going to win the speed battle versus corners. Uh, he, it's just not it. He's a, more of a big-bodied guy, but he'll handle the matchups versus linebackers and the occasional nickel corner depending on the route. Um he can handle that. Uh, he ran a very limited route tree at Notre Dame, like I said. He, he's going to need to expand on that in order to be successful at the NFL level. I like Michael Mayer a lot. I think Notre Dame has a, has a, produced a stud out of him. Um, he, he's going to be an excellent tight end uh, at the pro level. Got to love him. Uh, what do you think about Michael Mayer out of Notre Dame? Michael Mayer, 6'5", 258. Big uh, boy. Runs, yeah, runs a 4'8", uh, He's projected to be a fourth-round guy. Uh, yep. So we're not talking about a, a first-round talent here, but what we are talking about is a guy who can get open yep. down the seam. He can high point the ball, mm-hmm. right? He is very strong at the catch point. Uh, he presents him. He presents the numbers. Like he, he's not like some of these guys where they're afraid to show the numbers to the quarterback to let them know that they're open. And paint, and uh, and Michael Mayer is not one of those guys. He's a willing blocker, but eh. Right, you know that may not be his game, right? He's a competitor, mm-hmm. and he's tough. Uh, he's a mature. He's a leader out of yeah, the field. There. He is, really, he, he, is. he definitely is. And he, I mean, I know, I know, Notre Dame struggled a little bit early part of the season, but Michael Mayer consistently produced all season long for the quarterback carousel that they had in, in Notre Dame. Right, and he he showed up. Big time players make big time plays in big time games, and Michael Mayer does that. Right. Uh, next up, number two. Uh, this one might surprise some folks. Um, he's he's listed as three overall in a lot of a lot of places. Um, NFL Draft Buzz has him ranked as number three. I like him as two. Dalton Kincaid out of Utah. 
Um, you know, he's a great receiving tight end. He led the nation with 70 receptions for 890 yards. His route running is just pure excellence. I, I just can't get over how good of a route runner he was. He's got the ability to adjust to make contested catches. He can turn up the field with fluidity. Um, he has the, uh, the speed to run vertical routes. He creates mismatches with the safety position, which I thought was a really great thing, that, especially what they did against USC. He, you saw Dalton Kincaid doing stuff like that. Um, is the cons are he mostly played in the slot, rather butted up against the line, which makes him come off as more of a receiver, like a slot receiver, than an actual tight end. Uh, he creates... He struggles creating separation and winning contested catches, which is interesting to say the least given how aggressive a lot of those Utah tight ends were. Um, his strength is very middle of the road and somewhat he, he struggles when it comes to blocking the run or the pass. Um, you know, I like Dalton Kincaid a lot. I think he's going to be an excellent receiving guy. He kind of comes off like an Eric Decker given his size mm. uh, in, in a way. Mm. That, that's kind of the vibe he gives me. Uh, because of the way he lines up, where he lines up, the size he has, the, the pass-catching ability. I mean, he's a good pass-catching tight end. He's going to have to be learn how to be butted more up against the line and, and playing with his hand in the dirt a little bit. They can't just line him up in the slot. It's yeah. it's it's almost uh, very Jimmy Grahamish the way that they used him over at in Utah. Um, it's more of a, that offensive weapon, remember that nonsense. Yeah. Um, but but I like Dalton Kincaid a lot. He's my number two guy. I like the 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 uh, red zone ability that he has. I like his hands. I think he's just a really solid guy. Seventy receptions for eight hundred ninety yards. I mean, that says Can't something, argue with right? That. Can't argue yep. with results. And and he played well, extremely well in that matchup with USC. All the all yeah all those tight ends uh, Utah played well against USC. Yeah. That that seem or that seems to be the way that Utah beats USC all the time is they get these big body tight ends and. Three tight end sets, kind of jumbo yeah. set it around, and Kincaid was a huge part of that. What do you think of this kid? I, I think some folks have him like kind of slated as a number one guy based on what he did with Utah. Well, he uh, Dalton Kincaid, 6'4", 240, right? 40 time of 4'6", 3. He's mm -hmm. low of 4'5", high of 4'7". He's uh, extremely athletic. He, he can uh, go up and get it from time to time. Right. Uh, he he's good in the seams. He's definitely a red zone threat. Yeah, he's he's a tough guy. He he's a tough player. He, he's not uh, dainty. No, by any means. No, right. And and when you're playing for Kyle Willingham, you you got to be able to get your nose in there and get a little dirt. Right, right. And he and he can do that from time to time. They're they're saying he's a, a round projected round three guy. Yes. So that's a very uh, that's a very telling in and of itself. Especially, I mean, if you think about it, he's he's rated. Uh, you know, Michael May Michael Mayer is the guy that everybody's talking about as far yeah. as tight ends go, but Kincaid is actually projected higher than Mayer is right now, which is yeah. interesting. Very interesting, especially because nobody watches the Pac-12. They're on <laughs> way too late. So, you know, so that means you jump, you jump some people if they can put you in the third round and you're playing out in Utah when nobody is, is watching those late right. game kickoffs. But yeah, you're, uh, you're absolutely right. You, He's definitely an NFL tight end. He's got a lot of potential. Yeah, a ton of potential. Uh, next up, number three goes to Luke Musgrave out of Oregon State. Um, this guy's an awesome route runner, uh, both on short and deep routes down the seam. He creates awesome separation. Uh, his agility, he can, he, man, that the cuts he makes, that's a pro-level tight end. I mean, he's, he's a speedy guy. Uh, she, he showed elite speed at the senior bowl. He was the first tight end to break 20 miles, miles per hour in the drills. Um, 
He's an athletic monster for a guy his size. So, uh, And the cons on him, though, his blocking leaves something to be desired because he plays with his pads higher than he should. Uh, he struggled tracking the football on short routes, and he only played two games in 22 and 23. He's coming off of a knee injury. Uh, I like Musgrave. I, I think he's a solid tight end. He's probably going to be a late day three guy. I think he's probably going to go fifth or sixth round, uh, probably closer to the sixth. Uh, he's a good player. He's he's The route running is what sells me on him, the route running and the speed. They're really going to have to utilize him um, you know, as, as more of a speedy pass catcher in a way. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's kind of a, sort of a vertical threat tight end, believe it or not, which could make for an interesting time. Uh, what do you think of Musgrave? What do you got on him? Uh, Musgrave, 6'6". Six, six. Big boy, two hundred fifty-five pounds runs a four-five forty. That's a train coming right. Out. <laughs> low, low of four-four, high of four-six. Right. So the only thing I worry about, Luke Musgrave, and I'm gonna tell you something. Per NFLDraftScout.com, he is projected the number one guy. Wow, number one. He had an excellent senior bowl. He did. And what I like about him is he he has tremendous speed. He can go up and get the ball, and he's got a huge catch radius. Yeah. Right? You can almost throw it anywhere, and he's going to snag it. Problem is, at 6'6", 250 pounds, here comes a safety right at his knees. Yeah. Oh. Right? He missed uh, basically, I don't want to say the entire year last season, last season, but he missed a ton of time, you know, with a knee injury. So mm-hmm. what? So that's the only thing that gives me a little bit of pause and it probably should give him some pause you don't want that i mean i guess you could line him up on the outside if you if you wanted to but he presents an excellent target huge target for quarterback huge red zone threat mm-hmm. i like him a lot i just i hope that safeties and linebackers don't try to take his knees out when they're tackling yeah him. that's that's going to be the the big thing is he's got to stay healthy and, yes. and that's going to be a big issue we, we always talk about availability and reliability, and and uh, you got to be re- available. You got to be reliable. If you're not going to be either one of those things, you're not going to be successful in the NFL. Yes. Uh, number four goes to Sam Laporta out of Iowa. Um, you know this guy led the Big Ten in receptions with 53. He had 670 yards. He led him in yards. He led in yards per catch with 299 yards after contact, 206, and co- uh, catches of 15 plus yards. He had 18. He led the Big Ten in all of those categories. Um, he's able to run routes as both a tight end and a wide receiver. He's got all those routes in his arsenal, so he's a, he's a bright guy. Uh, good hands, doesn't struggle in bringing in passes. He had very few drops. Uh, and the linebackers struggle to cover him, which is a mismatch that he loves to exploit. Uh, the cons on him, he's not a very good run blocker. Uh, he struggles against the faster edge rushers, but and he gets bullied by the larger defensive ends. He doesn't come off as a red zone threat. He struggles having a nose for the end zone. He did not have a nose for the end zone this year. I think he only had three touchdowns. Uh, I don't think anybody on the Iowa offense had a nose. <laughs> Sam Laporta, I mean, he's a, he's a good tight end. I I mean, he's not going to be a blocker for you. He's a good route runner, an excellent route runner, really, and he, he can catch the ball effectively. You know, but for a team that's going to be running a lot of uh, zone and whatnot, he is not your guy. And, and I think you're, he's going to be... If you're running a pass-first, vertical threat-type offense, that's your guy. And that's that's the kind of guy you're going to want to go after. But you can't just stick him on the edge of your line and say, hey, run block for me. Yeah, no. Uh, Sam Laporta, 6'4", 249, right? Runs 4'6", 740. Mm-hmm. Uh, low of 4'5", high of 4'7". 
athletic enough enough for, yes. for the position. Uh, they project him as a, a, a round three guy. I don't think he played himself into a round one. Here's the thing. When you looked at Iowa's offense, it was just putrid. Yes. Just Horrible. Awful. <laughs> just awful. So for him to lead all tight ends in the Big Ten with 53 receptions and was it 800, 670 yards, just very – that shows he can do it and he has the capability – just in an offense that's just ugh. yeah. Rough. So, when you, <laughs> but when you think about Iowa tight ends from the from the last five, six, seven, eight years, right? You're looking at Noah Fant. You're looking at George Kittle. Mm-hmm. You're looking at uh, T.J. Hawkinson. <coughs> Hawkinson, right? right? So quietly, Iowa has been tight end you for a long time, right? Right now, so I see no reason why we would doubt Sam Laporta. Yeah, he's been very good. Uh, quietly, quietly very good. You know, not a, a great blocker, but he blocks well enough. I, I think he also, if I'm not mistaken, broke TJ Hawkinson's record for uh, broken tackles in a season with 18. Well, so he, he broke that as well. So, I mean, he, Laporta's a good player. Uh, he, he's excellent. I, I really do like him a lot. Now he's coming off a November uh, knee injury. Yes. So, you know, that might need to be monitored, but uh, whoever drafts Sam Laporta will have a a quality NFL starting tight end. Yeah. And then number five goes to a surprise one here. Tucker Kraft uh, from South Dakota State University. Uh, he's a strong possession receiver uh, from the tight end position. He's sure-handed. He's an excellent red zone target. He's a decent blocker, both against edge rushers as well as in run blocking when moving up to the second level. He has the ability to pop linebackers. With this, I mean, it's like rock'em, sock'em robots. Um, he has the height to high point the ball and is capable of making plays deep down the field. Um, but while he's a good blocker, being 6'5", mm. it prevents him from really getting his pads lower to the ground and low enough to maintain that leverage. Um, he has the ability to catch the ball and turn up the field. It comes off a little clunky, though. Um, he needs to transition into being a ball carrier with more fluidity after he makes the catch. Um, the speed and size are very average. Uh, he, he has the height to make excellent plays. But he could add some more weight on. You know, he's, he's very diminutive with his frame. He's a little lanky. There's a small sample size in 2022. He only played six games. Uh, scouts will likely have to resort to looking at his 2021 production, which was very good. Uh, I like Tucker Craft a lot. Special player. Um, I, I don't think he's going to – I mean, you're going to see, again, a late day three guy I think is where he's about headed. I like I like Tucker Craft. Though. Where, where are you headed on him? Tucker Craft. Jack Rabbit, 6'5", 255, mm-hmm. runs a 4'6", 5'40", uh, low of 4'5", 9", high of 4'7", 3". They're saying he's a two, uh, round two to round three guy. Mm-hmm. I've got to be honest. After 100%, that's what we do here. Transparency. Yep. Transparency, yep. I have not seen a whole <laughs> lot of Tucker Craft. I, 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 I must bow to your information on this one, my I, brother. I, uh, I peeked in on Tucker Craft. And and watching the film, I th- yeah. these are the things I saw, and and it was it was interesting. I, I think that he has a possession tight end. He's going to be excellent. I, I really do, and I, he's actually a good blocker. They have him going second round primarily, I think, because he can do both. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, some of these guys that are you know are early on. You know, we're talking about Mayer. Mayer's big thing is he's a great catching guy yes. he's a good blocker but not a great blocker you know and and they're, they're like eh, i don't know tucker craft can handle all of it 
He yeah. can handle everything. Uh, I think he's a special tight end. He, he's a, uh, I mean, he'll be a day one starter. He'll probably be a tight end two behind somebody. But a team like the New York Jets would love to have a guy like Tucker Craft right now. Yeah, you know that that would be an excellent selection. Uh, a team like the New York Giants would love was, to have. I was just gonna say Tucker Craft right now. He reminds me of Daniel Bellinger. Yep. You know the he's way you're describing. Yeah. Right in that same zone. Um, but I think he's a better pass catcher than Daniel Bellinger. I yeah. think Bellinger, Bellinger kind of benefited from the fact that Evan Evan Ingram wasn't any, it wasn't there anymore. True. To be that that pass catching tight end, um, and Kraft, I I just think he he comes off as a far better version of Evan Ingram. And if I if I can well, I'll say a far better version of Evan Ingram in a Giants uniform because Evan Ingram yeah. did have himself a hell of a year over there with Jacksonville. I think yeah. Kraft. Fits the mold of what Brian Dable wants. He's going to be able to to kind of lock up the edges and create positive situations for guys like Saquon Barkley. But at the same time, he's a weapon and he's scary enough for people to have to pay attention to him and stick a linebacker on him or whoever else. He's a special player, and and uh, I, you know they. I'm surprised they have him going as high as the second round. Uh, I do think that that Kraft is probably going to be a lot lower than the second round. Uh, there's there's a, a wide array of where he's yeah. going to wind up landing. Yeah. Um, I I do honestly think he's he's probably a late day three guy. I do think we're going to wind up talking about fifth sixth round, and he's going to fly under the radar. And people are not going to pick him up early on, in my opinion. Right. But he's going to be a special kind of sleeper pick that people get away with. And, and someone's going to get a good quality tight end out of this. Um, one guy that I know everybody's going to be going, what the hell are you talking about, Scott? And, and What the hell are you talking about, yeah, Scott? We, yeah, and we can jump in on him just real quick because I, I, you know, I know he's not on there, and I know a few people were kind of like, what the hell is going on? Darnell Washington. Uh, mm-hmm. Darnell Washington, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. were, were, were going to take a step back and go, why the hell isn't Darnell Washington on your list? What are you talking about? Ba 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 ba. Look, I'm not as sold on Darnell Washington. Um, you know, six seven two seventy. I mean, he's a big boy. He he just comes off more like a blocking tight end to me, and I think he's kind of that one trick pony in that situation. I think he's been used in a lot of blocking situations, and and Georgia likes to run that football awful effectively. Yeah. I I think that's what he is. I I don't. I don't yeah. really buy Washington as much as a lot of other people. If you need a blocking tight end, right, that's your guy. If he eats the number three combo meal, he'll be an offensive tackle. Yeah, and and that's kind of that's where I am on him. I just he's a blocker, and that's about it. He's a very good blocker, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> and if you and if you and if you've already if you already have a tight end that's established to be your receiving threat, then at that point. Washington becomes a luxury, right? Because you don't need to use him in the in that type of uh, in that role. Yeah. yeah. So if I were a team like let's just let's say a team that uses a lot of tight ends, oh, the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm-hmm. If he were to go there, oh my goodness, that's a luxury. That yep. is a luxury. Yeah. yeah he's uh, yeah. Washington's not the guy that you're going to draft probably in the first round unless you already have that. Position that, sewn yeah. up. You have a Travis Kelsey, a Mark yeah. Andrews, something. Yeah, if you got somebody like that, mm. a TJ Hawkinson, right. right? Somebody like that. Yeah, I, I, a lot of people, and I know, like listening to this, people are going to go Washington. You know, a lot of, and, and on most boards, he's ranked as the number two tight end. He's a big part of that back-to-back national title. Team. Yeah, and and 
I am not entirely sold on Washington. He's the one guy that I'm kind of like, I don't know Mm -hmm. about him. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the rest of these guys, you know, I think they're good. Um, And and you might see Washington go higher than some of these guys. My favorite out of the bunch, um, and this is strictly just like I'm marking these down as these are the top tight ends as far as I'm concerned and as far as I think draft scouts are going to look at them. But my opinion Personally, I like Dalton Kincaid the best out of everybody. I just think he's going to be a special tight end in general. But hey, you know we'll we'll find out come draft time. You know what what happens. But uh, I know folks, you know that oh you didn't put Washington on me. What's the matter with you? So I don't want anyone to get triggered. Yeah, no, it's okay, folks. It's okay. Washington may be a stud, and I'll be happy to eat those words. I mean. A hell, a few years ago, I thought Josh Rosen was going to be something special. We saw that turned out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, let's just <laughs> let's just keep that in mind. Right. But uh, those are our prospects for the running back and tight end positions. Those are my top five. And what do you got, Boots? I have a bootleg version of Luke Musgrave. Oh, really? Luke Musgrave. Who, who's your uh, the, bootleg version? The bootleg version of, of, of Luke Musgrave is my man out of Purdue. Oh, boy. Mr. Payne Durham. Oh yes, six five, two hundred fifty eight pounds. He runs a four eight two. That you think that that's slow, but here's the thing: he's not slow. He's crafty. Mm-hmm. He excels down the seam. Yes, I saw Aiden O'Connell just deliver pass after pass after pass after pass down the seam, and he does his best work in seam route and in the in the red zone. Yes. Payne Durham was a safety blanket for Aiden O'Connell at, at Purdue, and he produced consistently. Didn't matter the opponent, didn't matter what type of defense they ran. You could throw the ball to Payne Durham. It was it was like he was open every single time. He's an excellent receiver. He's strong. I don't know how much of, uh, how good of a blocker he is because Lord knows they do not run the ball at Purdue. <laughs> but yeah. if you have an offensive scheme and you need a receiving tight end. Let's say you're the Arizona Cardinals and you want to move on from Zach Ertz or you're, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs who run a lot of three tight end sets. If you want somebody who can threaten a defense with their receiving ability at the tight end position, it's Payne Durham. He's very athletic. He can run the football as well. He showed that. Uh, they ran the ball a little bit with him at the uh, Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. So uh, Senior Bowl watch guy. He was a Senior Bowl participant and, and did very well. I believe he scored a touchdown in that game. Yep. So I'm liking Payne Durham as a bootleg Luke Musgrave. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, the the numbers on him from last year, 56 catches for 560 yards. He had a 10 average, eight touchdowns, uh, and an elite quarterback rating when targeted of 116.8. I mean, he, he doesn't drop the ball. He's a possession guy. Um, special player for, Par- for Purdue. He could wind up being, and again, this is, Day three guy, but yeah. could be a special player. We we could yes. see a, a sleeper there. Yes. There are certain sleepers that come out in those that day three where I go, ooh, look right. at that, look right. at that. So excited for that. But folks, that is our uh, those are our prospects, and that is our show. Um, before we get out of here, I want to give a, a shout out first and foremost to it's your time massage iytmassage.com. Check it out. Uh, get yourself a massage with Amanda at It's Your Time Massage. Also want to give a shout-out to Patch Miracle Photography. If you're looking for 
graduation photos, baby photos, maternity photos, engagement photos. You want to get your wedding photos done. Mm. If you want to do a sexy boudoir shoot for that special somebody in your life, check out PatchMiraclePhotography.com. They did our wedding. They did our baby photos. They did all of our stuff. Um, for my wife and I, I highly recommend Patch Miracle Photography. Andrew and Chantel will make your special day even more special with their professional photography and the way they make your day just 10 times better. Our wedding day was excellent because of them. They, they did a great job for us. Um, also a shout out to, uh, the, now it's not Condor's Gaming Corner anymore. It's Steel Brothers Gaming now with, oh. with Alex Steele. So the, the Steel Boys are, uh, out there doing, uh, some excellent stuff on their gaming channel. Uh, gotta love what Alex is doing. Uh, he's actually on his way down here right now, believe it or not, for Super Bowl Sunday, so we're all fired up for that. Alex is tremendous. Uh, his brother, Andrew, they do the voice acting on Wednesdays. It's some of the most entertaining stuff, um, and, and they've been going through a lot of the Ace Attorney series stuff, so I highly recommend it. Check it out. Also, our boy at Big Willie Dubs Gaming. Uh, Big Willie Dubs. Will uh, out there doing a lot of Warzone stuff. I love watching his Warzone stuff. His TikTok channel's fun. If you haven't gotten a chance out, check out our boy Will at Big Willie Dubs Gaming. Have a look. It's a good time. And Boots, you've got something special going on. Just, just really quick, working on stuff on my own end. But I have to tell you people that I read a wonderful book mm -hmm. by an, a brand new author by the name of Tammy Pruitt. Oh, the book is named I Ate Cookies Out of the Trash. It's a wonderful read. I just wanted to get that out there and let the people know it's a fantastic book. Go out and get it. It's on uh, Google and, 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 and Amazon. It's an ebook. You can get it delivered. <coughs> fantastic. Fantastic book. By Tammy Pruitt. Yes. Called I Ate Cookies Out of the Trash. Wonderful, wonderful book. <laughs> so, folks, check that out, please. Uh, Tammy uh, is, is a tremendous author, from my understanding. Absolutely. Yes. So, um, I ate cookies out of the trash. Find it anywhere. Uh, and uh, is it David on an ebook and everything? Huh? Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It, it's uh, it, it's an e only. It's not available in stores. Okay. Quite yet, but hey, go online, order it. Amazon, Google. Excellent. Barnes and Noble. It's there. Yeah. Well, that's going to be my next order. So, uh, folks, thank you so much for listening. Thank you. And uh, Boots, thank you for joining us. Uh, you can check us out on the Outside Blitz on Facebook. We're going to get our Twitter page up and running pretty soon here, I think, uh, over in Twitter. You know how much I hate Twitter land. But tweet, tweet. Yeah, it's one of those things that we just got to do, I guess. Um, but you can check us out on there. You can <laughs> listen to our podcast on SoundCloud, Apple iTunes. Give us a rate. Uh, check it out. Give us a follow on Facebook, The Outside Blitz. Um, you can find me on, uh, on uh, Facebook as well. Uh, so please come and give us a follow. Check it out. Give us your comments, all that good stuff. We love to hear from you. And thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time right here on the Outside Blitz. Thank you.